Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 266th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that casts the vetting process spell weekly so you don't have to. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some extra valuable information with all of you. Our show, of course, is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Lesser Evil Organic Popcorn with Himalayan Pink Sea Salt and grass-fed clarified butter, my favorite snack while I'm preparing for this weekly podcast. We're also proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast while eating some delicious Lesser Evil organic popcorn. Did you read that? Did you do that off the cuff, or do you have that written down? <laughs> I did that off the cuff. That's pretty smooth for uh, an ad hoc <laughs> joke. We've been doing this for a little while. The uh, Yeah, Lesser Evil Popcorn. It's uh, quite the snack. So are you eating that right now? No, because it would be terrible to crunch that in the ears of our listeners on top of my noisy mouse, but I certainly would like to be. I have some in the other room just waiting for me when we're done. So is this just a, a joke that you've been eating it and enjoying it, or did they actually agree to sponsor the podcast? It's really, really good popcorn, and it's been my experience that if you want somebody to send you 17 cases of something for free, you should mention them on cast and then send them a clip. That is true. <clears throat> uh, one of the uh, – Adam Barnello, a um, magic – kind of a semi-retired magic personality. He used to be real big into the legacy scene. Um and now does mostly cosplay stuff. You probably you might have seen him in his Fibble Thip cosplay. He does Garrick and stuff like that. But he is now unironically sponsored by a bidet company because he kept tweeting about it. So they sent him one. And hey, I'm very jealous. Brainstorm Brewery got sp- briefly sponsored by Squatty Potty. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not aiming, uh, looking to aim that low. But I, I certainly would like to get some free beer and gourmet popcorn. Well... You know, on the other side of that, uh, those, I think they're Toto, Toro, the Japanese company that makes uh, toilet seats with, uh, you know, all sorts of useful built-in functionality. They're like two, three, four hundred dollars. So if they want to send me one, I will gladly speak highly of their product. That is, that's a, it's a good product to get for free. Yep. Um, word. I also like expensive cars if you want me to talk those up. <laughs> uh, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one, our MTGO Metagame Week in Review. Segment two, our top paper movers. We got a healthy list this week of uh, what's been on the move with all these spoilers, not surprising. Uh, that includes our, some cards over on the MTGO side that are getting some action. Uh, you know, I got a lot of flack for our comments that one episode a couple weeks ago about the arena economy and uh, a couple of people I think 
didn't I, I probably failed to make myself explicitly clear and precisely what I was saying, but uh, do, you, do you want to clarify? Your, uh, your no, I mean, comments? it's not like it was a big deal. I wasn't saying that nobody should spend money on arena or that like you're a fool to or any of those things. My point was just that it was predatory, like regard, regardless of what money you spend and decide that it's okay. That's beside the point. Like their models still predatory. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure I agree that arena is especially predatory, but I certainly agree that the entire industry has been strongly motivated to pursue a unhealthy economic model. Well, so that's, that's kind of the catch. And it feels like a little bit like we're all, we've all got some Stockholm syndrome going on because people look at arena and go, well, arena is no worse than anything else. It can't be predatory. And you go, but really it's, uh, yeah, it's because they're all predatory. They're all doing it. And just because arena is not like arena may or may not be significantly worse than the others. But honestly, it sounds like it kind of is worse, but even if it weren't like that doesn't excuse all of them at large. Um, uh, on, I have to be honest, one of the games I've played with the least predatory economic models is Path of Exile. Uh, I, won't, I won't get into it, but that, that, that one's actually pretty good because it's basically nothing but cosmetics aside from like $10 worth of like useful quality of life stuff. But that's it. Uh, I did see a headline. Brazil has in their Congress discussions about banning loot boxes, which is something the European Union has talked about before. I don't know where they are, if that's working its way through their legislature over there well i don't keep track but it is interesting it would i would, wouldn't mind seeing a sea change on that type of stuff in the next five years it really isn't anything to do with everybody's doing it so they can too in terms of how i analyze the predatory nature of the economics in arena it's like the total cost to reasonably play the game and i think that cost is actually quite reasonable i, I continue to maintain that almost no matter how you're playing video games unless you're an addict who is throwing money at cosmetics left and right and racking up charges on your parents' credit card or whatever. The most games are probably too cheap versus the amount of entertainment they provide. I mean, I've been playing Apex Legends for months for free, play Arena for free, the mo play Smite for free. I mean, that's hundreds of hours of entertainment that I've gotten for free with nary a cent spent, so it's certainly possible. Yeah, my buddy likes to use sort of that perspective and you know his, his take is like you know if you rate these at dollar per hour mo almost all video games you're you have a great rate you know if you play a game if you pay the at like the triple a tier price of 60 dollars for a game and then you play it for 60 hours you paid a dollar an hour and most games that you pay that much for you probably will play about that much uh, or easily more and dollar an hour like how do you beat that if you go to a movie a movie ticket uh you know, in in a non top three metropolitan city in America is probably like nine or ten bucks, maybe twelve, uh, and what you get two hours out of it. So it's fair from that rate, but I, I don't know. I have I have an issue with using that as a metric because I don't think it's that clear cut. Uh, well, and one of the reasons it's not is that you can make similar arguments about alcohol. For most people, alcohol will never be a real problem. So though it is generally speaking a poison that you ingest if you're only doing it every so often it's not really a big huge deal but that goes without saying that it might be worth it for the rest of us to not have access to that small amount of poison if it would save the people that are prone to becoming alcoholic from having to go through that process uh, uh see now that i feel like is is kind of odd because that's a that's a slope that quickly leads you down a line of 
banning everything because of the harm it could cause to a few small people, which just ends up shutting the door on everything. Like you have to be very careful about what you apply that to. Um, there are some very tricky socio-political determinations to be made down on any of those paths, and I certainly don't pretend to I, be in position to benevolent, benevolently dictator my way through to the solution. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess my, my main takeaway here is that there are a lot of games you can play for very inexpensive or free, but Arena seems to be set up to cost a reasonable amount of money to play at a much lower level than many other games do. There are a lot of games that you can play for free or very cheap, and they don't really cost you a lot of money unless you want a lot of pretty stuff, basically. Uh, whereas Arena seems to charge you to play pretty much from the get-go, or you know, not much past a certain level. And, you know, it's not like Call of Duty is charging you money to play. Uh, once you're like above rank five or something like that, or like, well, you can play this Call of Duty mode for free, uh, which is only like you and two other friends, and and you know it's essentially a tutorial version or whatever. But if you want the true Call of Duty experience, you're in for probably sixty dollars a quarter. Like you don't see that in very many places. True. Um, yeah, it's the first time we've had a diversion in topics during the discussion of the four segments. Uh, Segment three was our paper card swatch. James and I will talk about some cards we like for the future as well as a user pick. Is it you? Stay tuned. I'm going to I'm gonna block that part out when we post the show notes later. So you have to listen and then message us to get your your pay, your uh, store credit so we know you actually had to pay attention. <laughs> and segment four, uh, the spoiler, more spoilers from Strixhaven and more controversy too, amusingly enough. Uh but let's start up here at the top with Pine with uh, our Pioneer event. We've got Red, White, Boros, Lorehold, however you want to call it. I'm going with Boros. I don't think I'm going to use the new names. Uh, Boros, sort of an aggro burn strategy here. Really uh, knocking it out of the park in first, fourth, and fifth. Seems to have settled in as the clock of the format. And when you see burn show up in that quantity, it usually means that the right counters to the clock don't yet exist which isn't tremendously surprising for a format like pioneer that is by its nature uh underpowered versus modern and legacy uh, it's going to take some time for you know more combo uh and ramp strategies to manifest through the appearance of additionally powerful cards uh, it's interesting because I don't think we haven't seen a tremendous amount of output from Kaldheim, nor do I see huge potential in Strixhaven. I mean, we'll get more into it when we do the set review next week or the week after with Jason, uh, probably. But the you know the they seem to have finally dialed back the power level. There's no Okos in either of these sets. Well, you know, we talked about that a little bit before. I Oko. Most of us like didn't catch Oko as being nearly as good as it was, right? Even if you came out and said Oko was the best card in the set, you probably were still off by an order of magnitude. And I don't even think most of us thought that. And I did comment about how complex Kaldheim seems to be, like that just you know doubled the average number of words per card. So I am kind of curious if there's a couple sneakers in here, people sneaking in to Strixhaven that 
are are that good or are at least are very very good but we don't notice because there's so much more complicated in the text that you won't really get a feel for until you see the play pattern Strixhaven is a very very wordy set like words per card has to be up there in the history of magic oh yeah i i would be shocked if it wasn't number one and which is what i was complaining about last week with those dean cards it's, it's worth noting that for Kalenheim, we did have the Tybalt's Trickery, Valky, uh, flip card nonsense for a few weeks. <clears throat> but once that was banned out of existence, and you can argue that that's more of a technicality than a power level problem. Um, you know, we seem to be back with Kalenheim making not much of a splash. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that may or may not be the case. And I'm not claiming that Strixhaven is going to, you know, blow anything up, but it's, it's a type of set with just, just based on the average word count per card, it, it might take a little longer to figure it out this time than it did in previous versions. I'll say this much. Um, Strixhaven looks very much like a commander focus set. There are (laughs) a ton of clearly EDH focused cards in here. Yeah. Yeah. More so than, than almost normal. It feels like it's a very, uh. Honestly, it's like, is it is it a EDH focus set or is it a, we know you nerds love Harry Potter, so suck up this uh, off-brand Hogwarts magic set? Well, set. I mean, that, it's also that. <laughs> that. That's not an either or. But my read on it isn't that it's specifically an EDH set so much as that Wizards design strategy is shifting further and further towards servicing EDH because they have every reason to be doing so. Um, And so, you know, you're going to see more and more of the standard set design space dominated by cards that say each opponent and whatever. And, and that are in, they don't have any as much reason to be scared of putting big splashy spells and stuff anymore on the premise that in mid rangey uh, EDH battles, they can, you know, rely on people needing to purchase those cards to, you know, pull off whatever wacky combo they're looking to do. Mm-hmm. We're pretty close to, uh, I mean, they would love to just get rid of the standard sets and just make them, make nothing but Pioneer all or uh, Commander all the time. But I don't feel like that would probably work. All right, uh, so as we said, Pioneer Tournament, this was the Pioneer Challenge on the weekend. Red, White, Aggro, Burn in 1st, 4th, and 5th. Corvold Sacrifice, which is was a huge deck in Standard, for large portions of the last year, uh, popping up its head again in Pioneer, two Corvold and four Woe Strider are the cards that popped out of me there. Um, and then Bant Spirits in third, uh, eight Pathways and four uh, Collected Company jumped out at me as uh, a new iteration on that strategy for Pioneer that we've seen variants of in Modern before. Um, and apparently it has Critical Mass for Pioneer as well. Jund Sacrifice without Corvold in sixth, uh, with four Bolas' Citadel, a card that had two copies in the second place version. Did you have a comment on the Band Spirits? I was just going to comment that um, I guess I'm not too surprised to see it pop up in Pioneer because most of the good ones were have been printed recently. Recently. You know, if you go back and look at the modern ones, it plays the... Uh, the, the uncommon lord whose name escapes me who i don't see in this list uh but other than that you know the real heavy hitters rattle chain selfless spirit shackle geist uh or uh spell queller 
um, are all here. It looks like Supreme Phantom kind of takes the place of that other guy that gives them hex proof. That not giving all your spirits hex proof is unfortunate, but they, they, you know, a lot of their weight is right here in the center, so it was only a matter of time, really. And then green, red, mid range was a deck we've seen uh, uh, several times uh, enter a pioneer top eight in the last year, but not as consistently as some of this other stuff. And then eighth is a resurgence of Arclight Phoenix, a card that I know plenty of pro traders have stacks of sitting in their bad specs box from the third time they tried to make money on it. After successfully making money first and second times, it did eventually fade out of modern right around the time that Faithless Looting got banned. So. And, and- and fair play, we definitely had that as a pick all three of those times. You were definitely leading the charge. I, I am not washing my hands of any of that. Uh, but we definitely talked about Arclight Phoenix a lot. I, I think the third and, and most likely to have failed time was probably on my shoulders. But uh, maybe... Blue red arc light in Pioneer can make a can mark a comeback for the card. It's also entirely possible that there's something in Modern Horizons 2 that turns back on a blue red spells deck in, in Modern. I think that one of the question problems right now is that the blue red prowess deck um, has been a real consistent force. And I, I would imagine it's gonna be tough for the blue red deck to find reason to be going up the curve into arc lights and other situations when they haven't seemed to have found a reason to include arc light in the current blue red prowess builds that are already doing well i mean if it's mm-hmm. if it's not good enough in there then you know what what do you need to print to bring it back into the limelight yeah the arc light builds you know i don't want to speak out of term because i'm not a format expert so rather than guess at what they might need i will say that i've heard a lot more people talking about arc light lately than they have been um, I believe that's in part due to all the Magecraft stuff we're seeing out of, uh, is it or right around this time? So uh, we might be getting more of this on the horizon. Um, more Arclight in Pioneer. I mean, it is a very powerful card. It seems like the issue is more of a metagame and maybe a support problem in Pioneer than anything else. Because the card is, you know, crushed modern so much, you can't really argue that it's not, it's that the card isn't good. Yeah, I mean, blue-red Arclight seems very likely to to post up in Pioneer semi-permanently once it gets a couple more cards. I mean, here it is already in the top eight with four Arclight Phoenix and three Crackling Drake and a pile of relevant blue-red spells. And they're just going to get more of that as time goes on. And what what it's probably looking for is a couple of high-impact filtering tools, you know, whatever the next-generation Brainstorm looks like or the next-generation Faithless Looting. Normally, I would say all it has to wait for, you know, over time, they will print more and more one drop blue and red spells. And eventually this will get powered up and be good enough. But then I would be inclined to say, well, maybe they've learned their lesson. We haven't had a ponder or a preordain in quite some time, right? Like they really don't print stuff like that. It was basically faithless suiting roughly was the last time we had a card kind of light in that vein. So they were slowed way down on it. But then again, like... We've seen decks of that nature go from very powerful one-drop spells like Ponder Preordain to playing stuff like Opt or what have you. And it was like, yeah, it turns out just a card that costs one mana and does basically just cycles. something other than anything it, or nothing is playable. So like the bar is so low, maybe it will be 
good enough eventually. They're just going to be like, let's print a card that does almost nothing. And they'll be like, oh, that's one mod and triggers my Arclight Phoenix. Good enough. Expressive Iteration feels like it's almost there from Strixhaven. That's blue and a red. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them in your hand, one on the bottom of your library, and then exile one of them. And you can play the exiled card this turn. Um, but it's a sorcery, not an instant, which I think is probably the like trigger point for whether it was constructed playable beyond standard. Yeah, and blue-red is a very big jump in casting cost from blue or red. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Was that all the Pioneer lists? Yeah, we did cover all Over in Modern, really nothing too surprising. Green-Tron in first, green-white creature combo in second, fifth, and seventh. That's been a constant presence in the format. Arguably one of the top three decks right now and basically defines... Uh, at least a section of the meta you're going to have to address with whatever you bring to the table. Red, white, burn in third. Jun Shadow uh, constantly rocking four Hex Drinker now, which explains why that card continues to pump uh, in, in price. And blue, red prowess aforementioned in six with four Sprite Dragon. Uh, I have certainly been enjoying pulling Sprite Dragon foils out of my Ikoria bulk and using them to further justify those collector booster box purchases. I sold a Japanese foil Sprite Dragon for $28 this week. My. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. Uh, and then sure. Eldrazi Tron in eighth. So nothing too new and exciting over in modern. And that was a modern super qualifier, not just a challenge. Super qualifier. You still qualify, but you, like, you qualified super hard. <laughs> Moving on over to the top paper movers of the week, second segment, uh, Omniscience from M19, uh, going from 18 to 26, 44% gains. Um, not that exciting of a move, but it, it ties into a cute little EDH story from this week where I was playing EDH on webcam with uh, some pro traders, and somebody was playing Breaches, which is like a pirate that basically uh, would pi- says that if pirates hit you, something like if pirates hit you, they get to... F- Everybody exiles a card off the top of their library. They got hit. And the pirate player can cast that spell. And they can use mana of any color to do it. So I'm playing my Atraxa deck. Starting to set up. And they they steal my doubling season off the top. And they realize that their, their pirates themed, which is generating a lot of treasure tokens, would love to have a doubling season in play. So they go ahead and cast it. The next turn, they hit me upside the head again with some pirates, and Breaches this time flips Tamyo Field Researcher off the top of my deck, which is one of several Planeswalkers in my deck, which in concert with Doubling Season does something truly ridiculous. In this case, Tamyo comes into play with 8 loyalty, minus 7, she draws 3 cards, and then gains an Omniscience Emblem. Her, her emblem is Omniscience? Yeah. So the Pirates player, who was playing the jankiest deck at the table, gets to draw three cards and then start casting Pirates for free for the rest of the game. Which, uh, needless to say, they won. Uh, off the back of playing a tra- my, my Atraxa cards back-to-back. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say, well, needless to say, they won because uh, I'm reminded of my friend's zombie deck that would play Rooftop Storm. And we all were kind of bent out of shape about Rooftop Storm being too good. That's an enchantment that makes all your zombie spells free, which is essentially omniscience in that deck. And he would resolve it, and then he'd play three creatures. Someone would play a Wrath, and he'd be dead in the water, and his Rooftop Storm was useless. And we're like, oh, well, I guess if 
I guess that actually isn't that great, but Omniscient's letting you play it. All your spells for free, and if the pirate player has any sort of card draw, that's, uh, yeah, it's going to be challenging to get over. Well, he was also using the doubling season for all the treasure tokens too, right? So <laughs> it's not like he had had any absence of mana, and then suddenly he didn't need the treasure tokens anymore because he was didn't need mana anymore. He needs that one that uh, makes your treasure tokens in the creatures or something like that. Well, it was truly hilarious because the other guy at the table was running Magda, the dwarf commander from Kaldheim that's quite popular, where every time you play a dwarf, you get a treasure token, and then you can sack five tre- treasure tokens and or artifacts, if I'm not mistaken, to go get a dragon out of your deck. Um, but they were playing it with no dwarves. They were, their whole deck was five-colored changelings, basically. Huh. Hmm. Well, that's a, that's, a t- that's a take on it. Yeah. They had, like, Magda wasn't the commander, because obviously then they couldn't be playing five color, but they were playing a bunch of ways to, like, search up Magda and other funny combo pieces that, mm. that worked with the changelings. Um, I, I, that's not my favorite. I've, I never liked those. This is, I built this deck with this is my unofficial commander, and I just have a bunch of ways to go tutor for it, because then your deck is just a bunch of tutors. It was more like, it was more like, they weren't always looking for Magda, they were just looking for, they could go get a bunch of things like Magda, that that would just work with the changelings and do silly things. It was a pretty fun deck. I have not played EDH in a long time. It would be fun to get back to that. We're we're, we're starting an EDH league for Pro Trader. I I don't know if I can do it. For for more than one reason, I'm not sure I can bring myself to do it. (laughs) All right. So, uh, not not the least of which is if it's a league, it requires finding time repeatedly. Well, I, I think it's, I think the way we're going to handle it is just make it much more casual than our usual tournament structure, where it's just going to be like people can go into a channel and request a pod and fire off, and then we'll yeah. and then we'll just do like a bingo card of accomplishments or something that unlocks put, being put into a lottery for prizes after thirty days or something, and it's just kind of mm-hmm. like play as much as you want. Whenever pods fire, they fire. That seems like probably the right way to handle that. Yeah, I got I'm a, uh, I'm a homeowner, man. Spring and summer means I got to be real busy outside. I miss having an apartment and having all that time back. I, I keep make sure you send my darling uh, partner a letter to that effect to drive that home, please, because it's a constant source of discussion. <laughs> I you know she could have her on. I can tell her the like seven the, the four or five projects I have an active status right now, and the three or four that are immediately planned for following that. I can talk all about it. Uh, we're talking about magic cards, right? Hex Drinker out of Modern Horizons twenty eight to forty one. Seen a lot of play in um, Modern in the new, the new Gen Shadow builds. Uh, over the last several weeks so that's picked up some real steam and i don't think there's uh, too many of those floating around out there when it started that period around six bucks so this is like six to forty wow were they six dollars at the start oh sure because i wonder how many people got to ride that the whole way they were early they were tested summer of 2019 for about a month in jund and some other builds showed up cranked up to about 20 bucks then faded back because they didn't make any more top eights in that time period. And now, just recently, Jund has committed to the full four of, so... Uh, and people have realized that there aren't really cheap Modern Horizon boxes lying around to be cracked anymore. You know, what's particularly funny about this is we have a card that went from essentially 6 bucks to 40 <clears throat> in the span of, I don't know, what, two months to a month? A month. 
but no one can play paper modern, mm-hmm. right? Like it basically doesn't exist. So all of these people bought this card and I'm just imagining them being like, oh, I got to get my hex drinkers and they get them in the mail. I'm like, yes, I got them. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. I guess I just put it on my desk and it's going to be real funny if they don't make it back to their card store before like November. And, or or uh, if or if Jund isn't good by by the time it gets there, as we said last week, Modern Horizons two could easily shake things up to the point where the Jund deck falls back off the top of the table. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like X Drinker's been so good, has been good for such a short period of time, and with Modern Horizons two on deck, I would not be eager to spend any money on any modern paper card. Hence, why I am I am a Hex Drinker seller. The, yeah. the only one I would even remotely consider keeping would be something like a Russian foil hex drinker or something, or like a foil, original foil hex drinker. I still maintain that Modern Horizons 2 might have, you know, one of the reason, ways they might be trying to justify a higher price for the collector booster boxes for that set could be foil premium versions of earlier modern staples, including something like a hex drinker. So we'll see. We will see. Baron Master Wizard out of Urza Saga, 48 to 72. He is a wizard. He is on the reserve list. And there are wizards in Strixhaven. We did it. We figured out the problem. I have two Nearman copies sitting on my desk. They are going to get posted to eBay tonight. I uh, I think I still have one floating around. I might have one listed for sale right now. I may. You can log on to tcgplayer.com and buy a bear. I think a heavily played Baron Master Wizard for me. Uh, Wooded Foothills is the original printing out of Onslaught. The allied fetches from Onslaught, so like the original printing of the original fetches in non-foil, yeah, have seen price movements a couple times. We talked about Pluted Delta and one of the other ones last week. Wooded Foothills this week, fifty-five to eighty-five, and there's Windswept Heath a little further up the page, um, also fifty to eighty-five. And I know last week you said you were considering, you know, you were saying if you had them, you would sell them at this point. No, I, I was saying that the um, Zendikar Rising, it, it was notable that the Zendikar Rising expeditions were part of this, that they were pumping as well. And the only risk factor is that they might include them in Modern Horizons 2, but that's... And, and I admitted that I couldn't remember if Wizards had explicitly said it was only the enemy fetches in Modern Horizons 2 or whether there might be all 10 available, for instance, in a premium treatment. The If that was true, I'm not sure it matters at all for the Onslaught versions. Could matter for the Zendikar Expedition versions. And if the, if the new treatment, you know, if there's a really sexy Windswept Heath in available in non-foil and foil borderless treatment or something in Modern Horizons 2 collector booster boxes, that could put the brakes on the Zendikar Rising expeditions showing further movement. But these original Onslaught non-foils are, whatever, t- 20 years old. So there's never going to be any more of them than there are. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, that they, they are what they are kind of wild to imagine that these could be two hundred dollars when there's eight other printings of them i think that you can if i was giving advice to somebody who had these sitting around an edh deck it would be if you need the money for something if there's something else you're trying to get your hands on before it explodes then yeah you could go ahead and trade out of your onslaught non-foil allied fetches and lean into this like this uh drought 
on these particular cards that might last for the, the remainder of 2021 um, and beyond. But if you're a long-term collector and you don't have any specific need to exit them, I think they're the, uh, the perfect kind of thing to just leave in your favorite decks and take care of, double-sleeve them, and they'll slowly, steadily increase in value over time. Well, I have a, a good handful of them, and I'm a big fan of strategies that involve doing nothing, so I'm on board with that. Now, in terms of the KTK versions of things like Flooded Stranded, Windswept Heath, and oh, so forth, if they're going for 30, 30 to 40 or whatever, um, yeah, I mean, you'd probably want to get out of the non-foil versions of those before news of any additional printing sits, because hard hard to see KTK versions holding top prices in that scenario. Congratulations on your sale. Yeah, well, more or less a constant problem. Let me just turn those notifications off. Uh, but I, yeah, it's, you know, when it, when we talk about holding on to the original versions of stuff, there's the original version and then there's the like premium versions, but everything in between is like, you know, the cons of Tarkir when swept Heath is who cares. Yeah. People will buy it if it's the cheapest copy and that's it. Yeah. All right, we got uh, next on the list, we've got Dryad of the Elysian Grove pack foil. Not foil extended art, just pack foil. 20 to 32. And these were easily available in the $6 to $10 range a year ago. Uh, works out well. I wonder what the rest of them are doing. I have, some, I have something. Some form of Dryad's stacked away. There might be non-foil extended arts. I don't know. They're it's all, a good card. It's going to keep moving. They're all, they're all looking good. I have. I think I had a Japanese playset of uh, non-foil extended arts. Let me just see what those went for. $96 with a $26 in. So up 80 over 26 in about a year. That's a, that's a nice take home right there. Yep. So uh, after that are the Avenger of Zendikar. Uh, the secret layer copy is 2232. This is the one that uses yeah. the show the the Zendikar Rising showcase-esque art. But it came out in the secret layer. Okay. Kind of a... Yeah, I mean, that card is cool looking and I've seen it several times and I've thought about like oh this could be a pick but you know it has the issue of it seems like the supply might be high enough to scare me off a little bit but maybe not i think the deal with the secret layers is that if they're unpopular they could take off within six months if they're popular people are going to have 30 40 50 copies as we'll see with one of my picks later in the cast and you should bank on it taking you know a year to two years for it to hollow out but Mm -hmm. but they're still reliably going to do so because there's just no point of resupply like whether they leave the sale open for a day, a week, or a month obviously matters, but only matters if people if awareness is maintained during that month long period. I, I suspect that during the early portion of the hype cycle, you get the most of the sales on day one, and then you get a real steady decline in sales for the rest of the month as they leave it open. And then the bottom line is that then the window closes and nobody can ever order anymore if they change their mind. And that inability to, you know, source stuff from a warehouse or from distributors or whatever a year to two years out means that almost all of the the good stuff has been a steady climber. You know, whether it rose 30% or 200% has varied depending on what, you know, what the specific contents were and what the circumstances were around the, the original sale. But Secret Layer is looking better and better. 
For sure. Uh, we, we still have to do that retrospective on, uh, on all their, all the ones that have come out to see where they end up. But I, I would agree that like, you're probably not going to be upset if you buy secret layers. The only real problem is just would your money have done more work elsewhere? Sure. Oh, uh, always the but, question. Right. But secret layers themselves probably fine for the most part. So moving right along, we've got uh, Forbidden Orchard. This is the original expedition from Battle for Zendikar, not Zendikar Rising, going for about 100 to 150 or so, 50 to 60% gains, depending on where you're checking your prices. Uh, expeditions have been under consistent pressure, especially if they didn't show up in the Zendikar Rising expeditions. Saw that with the Allied Fetches, saw it with a bunch of other stuff, um, and not particularly surprised to see Forbidden Orchard taking off uh, here. Um, it's, it's pumped a couple of times over the last few years and I've sold multiple copies along the way. I'm pretty sure I've still got a couple in inventory and I don't see any reason to underprice them below 150 at this point. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a fan of being on the high end. That's for sure. Do, do. Uh, Dwarven Driller out of Judgment Foil 1632, uh, real old foil, not a particularly good card if memory serves me. Um, there's there's dwarves in Kaldheim, and that seems like reason enough to be talking about this. Don't know what else it could really be. I actually found two of these in my foil bulk, old border foil bulk, and happy to post these up for sale. This is actually, I mean, a lot of the old dwarves are especially terrible. This is not that bad. Like you tap to to strip mine a land unless the opponent takes two. Yeah. So okay. So if you've got a way to tap and untap it a bunch of times, you can actually machine gun people pretty effectively. Well, I mean, but at that rate, you're just shocking them over and over. Like, surely we can be doing better than that. But can you be? He's a four on a two-two. Well, but can you be doing better than that in dwarves? <laughs> if you're well, if you're committed to playing actual dwarves and not changelings. <laughs> the, well, there's your, there's the rub. There's just there's just no good way to play those cards, but. Uh, Fairy Artisans, Commander 2016, 10 to 22. Fairy Artisans is that card. Uh, four mana for a 2 2. Whenever a non token enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, you create a token that's a copy of it. Um, it's also an artifact, and then you lose all your other tokens created by Fairy Artisans. The idea being that you always have a token of the most recent creature and opponent controlled played yeah uh, pl- played and but the, and there's that new simic commander that doubles the amount of tokens you get so fairy artisans and that means you're getting two version two copies of it instead of one you still are going to lose both of them but it means that you get to double dip on all the come to play effects yeah it's cute and part of a parcel of cards that are reacting to the simic commander that doubles on tokens uh, Damnation Masterpiece Series Amonkhet Invocations 160 to 380. I don't know how real the 380 price is, but I sold one of these at 180, then pumped up my next one to 250 when somebody tried to lowball me and alerted me that it had pumped yet again. So certainly it's worth middle 200s at this point. And original entry on those at a Europe was between 60 and $80. That's a nice price to have paid. Like two or three years ago. I don't... I don't think any of these. I have any of these. I have like the Wrath of Gods, but I don't think I have the Damnation. It is arguably one of maybe the top five invocations worth owning. It's got a really nice piece of art with Bolas on it. 
And uh, the black cards, I think, look the most handsome out of all the invocations. Uh, with the green, probably the green ones being the worst of the bunch. Well, even if it was one of the best ones to own, that is quite the price that you're paying to do it now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's four hundred dollars, but if the old price was uh, what did we say one sixty and it jumped, you're probably not paying less than two fifty. Well, and if you don't like Commander Legends foils for being clamshells, and you don't like Secret Layer foils for the same reason, I got news for you: the invocations at Amonkhet are actually pretty resistant to curling. I had a bunch of them lying around on my desk this week. No issue. Right beside a pile of Commander Legends Uncommons, which are now full curve. Yeah, those are... Uh, people are real real ticked about those still. Uh, fairly so, I would suppose. It's just, it's just a lot of effort to make them fully playable. Yeah. So, rightfully uh, so. <clears throat> Mishra's Factory, the fall versions out of Antiquities, 70 to 170 pretty big jump there uh, about 150 percent it's an old card uh fall i think it's probably without looking them all up is one of the, the less expensive ones winter second is definitely yeah big. second most expensive i sold i sold a winter this week for them in the mid 400s um so those have more than doubled up since i got in on them as well okay but still uh even still it's doing just fine. It, the fall may not be the most expensive, but you know, I would again seventy with a spike. You're looking at one twenty, one thirty at least. I think now. Yeah. Cabal coffers at a torment foils going from one thirty to some imaginary number. To, to pick a number between two hundred and four hundred, that's probably what you're going to pay for one now. It's dodged a reprint for ages, and even when if it gets reprinted, and it probably will with the next eighteen months. Finally, uh, original foils are only going to be increasingly rare and they're not going to be affected by any reprint i'm pretty sure i have at least one of these possibly two nice not that i'm going to sell them they're just sitting in my edh binder but i get to look at them occasionally and go "Ooh, i'm glad i have that <laughs> i can't wait for my kid to pull that out of the binder and ruin it one day when my back is turned oh yeah alara knocked over a whole stack of russian cards today and it was an excellent test of my fatherhood <laughs> uh ulamog the infinite uh Geyer. Ultimate Masters Box Hopper Foil, 116 to, let's call it 300, but again, pick a number between 200 and 350 probably as to what you're going to have to pay for those. This is the kind of card that will for sure end up in a premium treatment again at some point. When that might occur, anybody's guess could be this year, could be five years from now. These are not going to be any easier to find, and the next version probably uses different art, so... You know, I, 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 I'm probably a seller at whatever the price is now because your in was probably under 100. Um, and your ROI curve was probably a little bit uh, significantly more shallow uh, from here on out because I don't know if anybody's going to be paying, you know, five to a thousand, 500 to 1,000 on this kind of thing. But, yeah. That's probably the main, the main reason to sell here. You know, 115 is the start here. If it doesn't stick at 300, it'll stick at like, you know, two to 250. Um, I, I mean, at the moment it's the best version of them, the, you know, the box hoppers, even, I mean, it's conceivable that the next Ulamog, the next reprint of this card isn't as good of a version. Um, you know, based on where they put it, you might not get a better version of this and this will remain the best copy. But like you said, you know, if you're, if it's 250 now, who's going to pay, 400 for this right people will will just kind of wait for for the eventual better version of it so i would agree that now would be the time to sell these if you have them 
Well, you know what's a card that, like, let's say that you go ahead, go along with my theory that Modern Horizons 2 is going to have premium modern cards that aren't actually in the set Modern Horizons 2 that will appear in the collector booster boxes. Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger, it would be high on the priority list there because unlike Infinite Gyre, Ceaseless Hunger is an actual modern card. That's like a two of in the monogreen Tron deck that won the modern super qualifier this week. It's also interesting, if you look at the art on the Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger from Battle for Zendikar, it's already a full art card. It's basically see-through in the text box, and the art looks specifically designed to be borderless. So they could just take the rip the frame right off that, and it would be good to go. And it looks like there's some like nice color saturation with the blue in the sky and the green in the forest that's kind of being obscured in the original version that would look extra special if they made it a borderless foil full art in MH2. And you're talking about... Were you talking about Infinite Guy or Ceaseless Hunger? Ceaseless Hunger. Because Ceaseless Hunger is the one that actually gets ran in modern Tron decks. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was sort of the appeal with all of the... Sort of the appeal with the, with the Eldrazi cards at the outset was that they had, you know, they were the colorless boxes, so it kind of had a cool effect that you could sort of see through. I don't think that's enough of a selling point. Like, no one's going to buy this and go, well, it's almost like it's full art. Like, it doesn't doesn't quite work that well, but they are excellent cards to get a treatment that allows you to see more of the card because the artwork is so large and so present. Yeah, and if... The point I'm trying to make is that if Ceaseless Hunger was printed like that, that would be the kind of thing where if it started pumping up 200, 300, where should I get off the train? I might be willing to hold it longer because I think the true staples, like if you look at what happened with Masterpiece, uh, in- Invention, Mana Crypt, Mana Vault, Soul Ring, etc., those things are headed for $1,000 because they are the extra special cheap treatment above all other premium treatments. And there's just none of them around. And if you give, you know, you have a foil, full art, borderless Ulamog two to three years out from that printing, it probably ends up in a similar kind of situation on the back of being both modern and EDH playable. Mm-hmm. And I, by the same token, I'd be looking at something like Ugly Karn from Double Masters. The full art foils are getting relatively scarce and that curve is looking pretty steep. 27 listings left for Karn Liberated Borderless Foils from Double Masters VIP Packs. Pretty quickly climbs up into the 80 range and beyond. I could easily see this ending up being a $200 card. Give it another 12 to 16 months. Uh, the pack, the foil extended arts on Karn Liberated? Yep, I'm going to go ahead and add it to my pick list this week. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate that, even though the art is weird as hell. But that's, that's uh, a selling point. Like I, I despise that art, and I would never run it. But I can easely see how it's quirky enough that lots of people like it. Oh yeah, I mean, if I was gonna go pick a card, I would probably take the the weird double masters art. Don't get me wrong, push comes to shove. I like the original card liberated art more, but I like the extended art version from double masters, and the art doesn't upset me the way up you know other cards have, like uh, you know the Foglios. So I can get behind buying this because it's kind of a funky weird card and then this way when your opponent's losing to car and they have to look at his stupid face the whole time it really drives it home well and the other thing that it, this has going for it is that it's part of a tableau with the urza's lance right yeah so there's for sure going to be people that go ahead and put the whole thing together yep 
Yes, there will be. All right. So moving right along, we've got chain of acid non-foils out of Onslaught, $1.50 to 4 This was pretty much predicted based on chain of smogs takeoff uh, as the instant kill combo card with a couple of different magecraft cards. Um, chain of acid and plasma are worse, as you discussed on cast a couple weeks back, but people will still try to make them work or spec on them because they seem like the similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Crypt Sliver is here as a stand-in for a bunch of old border foil slivers that seem to be taking off. I definitely have one of these sitting around. Supposedly this went from $20 to $60. If somebody wants to give me $60 for a foil Crypt Sliver, that's fine by me. Um, <laughs> Hivestone Foils at a Time Spiral, original Time Spiral, 8 to 28, similar kind of principle. That lets you put random creatures in your deck and make them into slivers. Uh, Sliver Overlord out of Scourge. I found one of the things I love the most is when I find inventory in my live inventory box that isn't actually posted for sale. It usually means that something has had time <laughs> to take off and I forgot to repost it when I sold it. And I... I, I just did this. Yeah? I just found a card. I There's an, a foil anointed procession at the front of my box. And I thought it was listed, and then I, someone was talking about anointing processions, and I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, I don't have mine listed. Well, that's good, because the last foil copy I sold was like $15, and now they're like 60 so I'm sure glad that I forgot to put this one back up. Yeah, I just found a foil oh, sliver overlord from Scourge that I bought in April 2019 for $42, so looks good to me. I'll say. Oh... Oh, the other thing I was going to tell you, by the way, on Ulamog, uh, have you looked at Kozlek Butcher of Truth's price lately? Oh, yeah. I've, I've sold out of almost all my Ulamogs, Geyer or Ceaseless Hunger, and pretty, pretty much all big Eldrazi. I'm very low stock at this point. Well, yeah, I, I did not. So Kozlek's are like $85, and the supply is low. Yep. Uh, I didn't, you know, I thought they were in the 40s or 50s. I did not know they had gotten quite that high, mm-hmm. so... Uh, there's something for people to know. <laughs> Counterspell, Mercadian Mask foil version, in theory from mid-70s to, again, pick a number between 200 and 400. This is all on the back of it being rumored to be in Modern Horizons 2. The rumor being that Counterspell will just be modern legal. So any old, hard-to-find version of Counterspell is under pressure. You've got the Mercadian Mask one, 7th edition foil Counterspell. You've got DCI promo Counterspell. You've got Beta and Alpha. I mean, not Alpha, but... Well, Alpha because it's Alpha, but Beta because it's a playable, uh, old, sexy version. And if you recall, I called LP Beta Counterspell back in November... I want to say. I do you recall? Do you recall that? It was. Some, I, I remember talking about it. Yeah, I called it at. On episode 245, which was November 10th, to go 300 to 500. We're already well past that. <laughs> In fact, by December 30th, it was already at about 450, and it's only pushing higher now. I mean, beta counter spells, if they end up in modern, it's going to be a $1,000 plus card. It will not be inexpensive, that's for sure. Finishing up the week, we've got Fable of Wolf and Owl. Uh, this is also about the new Simic commander that doubles tokens, because this thing makes, what, three tokens? So you get six instead? Uh, sure. I think it makes... I'm it, it, not going to pretend I know. Yeah, it's an even-tied card that 
Oh. And they have... It's whenever you play a green or a blue spell, you get a different token. So green, you get one. Blue, you get one. So it's not that it gives you tokens at the outset. It's it generates them as you play. Gotcha. So it's three Simic, Simic, Simic. Whenever you play a green spell, you get a 2-2 wolf. And whenever you play a blue spell, you get a 1-1 blue bird creature token. But because of the Simic commander doubling the tokens, you play a green spell, you get a 2-2-2s. You play a blue spell, you get two one ones, And if you play a Simic spell, you get four tokens total. And if you got a doubling season out, you get eight. Yeah, and if you have uh, Anointed Procession, and if you have uh, Cathar's Crusade. <laughs> but yeah, it does. It generates some bodies for sure. Mm-hmm. Does so, a good job of that. So I snapped off some copies of this in Europe real cheap because they're basically hollowed out on TCG Player. Um, yeah. It, these types of cards, uh, you know, you always get some, some movement on them when the new stuff is spoiled. They're the type of card that I don't go super deep on. Yeah. But I do talk about them regularly. Like, they, they, this type of card is my picks a lot of my picks because they move you just don't want to have to try and sell through 40 copies of them. exactly i didn't buy 40 i bought four um right. whereas my biggest purchase on card market this week was 10 judge foil ristic study and 10 judge foil sliver uh hive lord hive lord that sounds right um mm-hmm. both all 20 copies under 100 bucks because both of those cards i've been selling consistently in the 160 to 180 range so yeah, that that's where you want to go deep. Yeah, those uh, Judge Fuller Rustic studies I remember talking about before. It's also a, a good test of your ability to separate out your original in from your current scenario because I bought my first twenty Judge Fuller Rustic studies around forty five dollars. Bought some more around fifty five. Bought some more around seventy. It's been selling and selling and selling over $100. It's pushing even higher now. It's probably going to be 200 bucks in pretty short order. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and spend double the original entry price in Europe without blinking an eye because I'm confident that you just... Like, it's a Judge Foil Ristic study. It's it's an S-tier staple for Commander. It's not going anywhere. It's just going to keep going up. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when you were talking about it. I was like, that's a good pick. That'll work out well. Moving on to uh, segment 2B, top MTGO movers of the week. Only three cards we want to highlight here. Teferi, Master of Time, getting a little love, going from about 13 tickets to almost 19 tickets for about 50% gains. Uh, Saltai Control and Standards running the card. Castle Ventress out of Eldraine uh, from about 0.54 ticks to 0.79, about 46% gains on the back of usage in Saltai Ramp and Standard. And then Glasspool Mimic, has been doing a lot of work in Bant mid-range in Historic. Not sure how exactly how that translates over to Magic Online, but 0.36 to 0.63 tickets, uh, 75% gains. Uh, people are buying a card for a format that doesn't exist in the platform they're buying it on, but sure. I'm not sure if you can play Historic on Magic Online off the top of my head, to be honest. I don't, I don't play Constructed on Magic Online much, so. I don't know either. Double-check that and report back. Um... Okay, let's talk about our paper movers. We got a couple a couple bullet points to hit here, so we should get moving. First one I just flagged a few minutes ago that I came up with on the spot. <coughs> Ugly Karn Liberated. Had a double Masters foils, $60 to $120 inside 12 months. That's my call. I'm sticking to it. All those people that thought VIP packs were such a boo-hoo moment. Oh, no, they overprinted them. There's too many. 
Yeah, except there's not really. Like, there was too many for about four months, and now the good stuff is already starting to hollow out. Because collectibles I, is crazy, and there's a lot of good cards, and that's it. I have not made a point of purchasing, of talking, picking any Double Masters cards yet, because the supplies have generally been pretty thick, and uh, I didn't want to jump in too early. But we are getting real close, and I should probably start adding those cards to my uh, serious considerations for future weeks because I know that there are some real juicy ones in there. It's just a matter of timing it correctly, and we might be there. Well, and there was, and for some people that were uh, that criticized people going in on VIP boosters, their criticism was rooted in the fact that Wizards had clearly prioritized pushing the VIP foil boosters out. Uh, over top of the regular booster boxes. And, of course, the non-foil version of, say, Karn Liberated Ugly Face uh, is only available as a box topper in the uh, regular booster boxes. So some people went after the non-foil cards on the basis that, A, they didn't curl as much, and, B, they were actually in shorter supply. I don't think that's terrible planning. Uh, I mean, it obviously probably lengthens your curve a little bit just because of the supply being... I would expect the supply to be so much higher. Well, in this case, it it would just turned out that it wasn't because there was, like, what happened with VIPs was they seemed like such an easy win at a hundred dollars a pack with two foil box stoppers that everybody and their dog, anybody that yeah. was anybody, most vendors of note were opening dozens, hundreds, even thousands of packs. I mean, Michael Caffrey, who was on here not so long ago. Uh, infamously opened tons and tons of that inventory and was pre-selling it uh, on his site and advertising on Twitter and many other vendors did the same. Pretty much every active pro trader was in on at least four of those booster packs and some people got 16, 20, 32, whatever. And, mm -hmm. and so what ends up happening there is that all that inventory is opened at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like... And that's not unusual in Magic. We, we expect that opening weekend is going to be a large portion of the inventory for any given set, and then it starts to fall it, off it, almost immediately from there. It, it is called opening weekend. Yeah, but it was even more so for the VIPs because it was the prices were really good for a few weeks there. So if you opened really early and pre-sold, you did pretty well. Um, and then as as for you know four to six weeks out, the bottom started to drop out on some of those cards, especially ones that had been propped up by export demand to Japan. You know things like foil thought seas and what have you. And then got the market got real soft around that stuff as we moved on to Zendikar Rising and Commander Legends, and the hype cycle had you know rotated. But fact remains that set has so many good hits. Like we did a bunch of singles group buys for the pro traders around August September. Uh, with a focus on on double masters, and picked up lots of copies of non foil cyclonic rift land tax stuff like that, getting in on them at ten dollars a piece, and I'm getting out on those already at twenty five to thirty. I mean that's just you know <laughs> as good as it gets. That's For, frankly that sounds like I should be considering buying those at twenty five. It, it entirely possible, right? Because those those cyclonic rifts could end up being fifty before they see another reprint. Mm -hmm. I've looked at that several times. <laughs> like, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? All right. So my non-Karn pick, first pick of the week, is Wastes. 
This is the basic colorless land out of Time Spire Remastered, Old Border, not Foil, mind you, although I think you can also make the choice to go after those. They're already at around 70 or 80. I suspect they're going to end up at 150. I, I went with the non-foil because I think it's easier for somebody to justify if these get from the current price of about 5 bucks to, say, 15 which would be my target. I think there are some st- will still be a small segment of people out there that will be like, okay, I, I'm going to build a deck that needs waste. This is a handsome version of the card. I'm going to get 20 of these. And that's going to help prop up the price. Whereas the foils, if the foils get to 150 and you want 20 of them, that's a really big commitment. Uh, you know, it's a couple of mortgage payments for a lot of people. So, yeah, that's a ridiculous amount. Uh, the I, I think I like the non-foils here more than the foils um, for just the reason you outlined. You still get the cool version of them. And if you're buying these, you're probably buying a handful. You you could make the claim that like if you're buying wastes, most decks aren't running a significant portion. You might not need more than four or five of them. Like you're not putting 18 wastes in a deck unless it's, you know, you're, I guess maybe a commander deck might like a colorless commander deck, but even then, why are you running wastes instead of like all of the colorless utility lines you could be using? So for the most part, people don't need 20 of them. Um, that's a consideration. I, I am I am slightly, uh, I think I'm using this correctly, bearish on wastes only because I bought a good chunk of the 184 full art foils back when those came out. Uh, that was the good art. You know, the people who remember Waste they had a good art and a bad art, and those are the good arts. And I paid like 10 bucks for pack foils, English and Japanese, the extended arts, and thought that that was genius, and I still have them. Um, so I think demand on these is not as good as anyone wants it to be, really, or at least not as good as I want it to be. However, that's not talking about the old border stuff, which is just in such short supply that it won't take many people to start to move that needle anyway. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Waste 184 foils because you probably won't be waiting too much longer. There's only 16 results left on TCG Player. A handful of cards between 10 and 15. Nobody with more than a single copy. And then it pops up to 20 plus pretty much right away. And total number of copies on TCG is less than 25. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't doubt that it looks very good right now. I would have to see what it looked like, what the, the you know, the, over time, what that looks like, because I don't think that's much different than what it looked like two years ago, honestly. I, I would imagine there's been a slow, steady drain, and that yeah, and that probably. and that you're somewhere within a year of it mattering again. Maybe. Bot- bottom uh, line. It only took <laughs> six years to get there. <laughs> Waste is in 5,000 EDH rec decks. It's played in Tron decks and Modern it shows up in cubes. People will put it in like random casual decks. Whether or not they're going to spend 15 bucks a waste in that situation is debatable. But yeah, I think waste is one of two cards here that is is likely to be wanted in great enough quantity, even if it's by a small number of people, that the needle will be moved in short order. Yeah, just I mean, just the volume of old, the old border cards is, is the biggest selling point there um, for sure. Uh, okay, I'm going to start with Mirrorwing Dragon, which was a better pick uh, when I first wrote it down earlier this afternoon. Um, it seems like the supply has shrunk considerably on the U.S. side just in the last several hours. But good news for you, 
the European Union seems to have uh, some copies as well, so you can seek them out over there, but you'd be looking for these foils around $10. Mirrorwing Dragon is, uh, it's a dragon, uh, five mana, four, five flyer, but whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery, whenever a player mage crafts that targets Mirrorwing Dragon, they copy it for each other creature they control it could target. So if you target your Mirrorwing Dragon, uh, with a instant or sorcery, you will copy it for every other creature you control. And Magecraft likes that a lot. So it's a huge enabler in those builds. I don't even know like how many instant sorceries those decks will play that target creatures like that, but it doesn't really matter because people playing Magecraft decks are gonna be like, wow, this thing's bonkers. I'm gonna put it in my deck. And that's where the decision-making will start and end. Um, so it's only in about 2k EDH decks right now. It's not a huge play pattern. This is sort of similar to that card James was talking about earlier. Oh, the Fable Wolf and Moon, where like I don't want to own 30 or 40 of these, but I do think supply will jump pretty healthy with these Is It Commander decks. You won't need that many people to drive the price up. And if you're buying them around 10 for the foils, you know, if you can sell them at 20, 25, you should be pretty happy. They're from Eldritch Moon, so you've got some time behind you. And Seth Saffron Olive did tweet about it earlier, which is probably why they're in short so shorter supply now. Uh, so, you know, buy, buy a place or two, I think you'll probably be fine. Yep, sounds about right. The uh, I think you probably have a window of opportunity, as you do with the... Uh, a lot of the cards that are not necessarily super stables for EDH so much as they are auto-includes and specific new builds. A lot of these new commanders need to prove themselves. So far, I'm lukewarm on what I've seen out of the the Strixhaven commander decks, even though it's kind of the annual release, as it were. Um, but be curious to see how they, they advance. Um, one of the things that jumps out at me so far about those decks is that doesn't seem like they have very much in the way of high-profile uh, reprints. So that means that whatever new cards they publish into them that take off, as, for instance, the free spell cycle did last year, um, are probably going to push harder and higher because they don't have to share EV with any like major reprints. Yeah, that's very possible. You know, if, they, if they're left to stand on their own two feet a little bit more... It lets those jump up a good bit. All right. So the other Times File remastered old bordered card that I've got my eye on is Relentless Rats. Relentless Rats is very similar to the Wastes uh, selection in the sense that if you're going to run a bunch of these, you're going to if you're going to run this at all, you're going to run a bunch of these, and you can currently get them in and around three dollars to three fifty, probably even cheaper in Europe. And I can easily see these being 10 to $12, say, a year out after just 20 or 50 players decide to pick up 20 copies of them. It's just gonna, it's going to hollow out the inventory. There's only 101 results, and this set just came out. And I'm not seeing super deep inventory, like big, big bricks, from a lot of the usual players. And I think that's because it was hard uh, for vendors to get their hands on enough sealed product for Time Spiral Remastered to really go deep on singles cracking. So... Yeah, Relentless Rats seems very, very likely to get there over time. Okay, now on the sheet here, you currently have them marked as foil. Oh, yeah, non-foil. Okay, I'll just say the foil old border Relentless Rats are 350 because yeah. I'm just going to tell you to erase that pick because I will go buy them all. Yeah, the, the, fo uh, the foils are thirty mid-30s to early 40s, and there's only 15 listings. 
But the thing about the reason I'm not calling it these out as foils is the same as with waste. Like once this gets up to being a sixty to eighty dollar card, it's a collector curiosity more yeah. more than anything else. I mean, we had a group buy uh, for the for complete sets of the old border foils from Time Spiral. The purchase price was four thousand dollars. Current retail is somewhere between seven and eight thousand dollars. That go up in the last week. Yeah, well, like in the last two weeks. Because I th- didn't last week. I, th- I thought I thought you told me it was like four thousand or something. I, I think I said it was like five or something. But yeah, current current calculations put it between seven and eight thousand. So because it's just it's hollowing out and all the curves are rising, even for uh, you know the mid tier. Uh, cards that are in, in the set so you know i don't think people are going to be buying 10 foil relentless rats next year just because you're not going to be able to find them and it's going to be just too big of a commitment for whatever meme you're trying to rock but the non-foils that can happen like so somebody might be willing to drop 300 bucks on 30 copies of relentless rats yeah that's way more digestible um, and I agree, and let, you know, unless you find the Saudi prince who's building a relentless rat stack, probably going to have trouble offloading a bunch of those foils. Well, as per the math we've done on Russian time spiral, you can't even. You, there probably aren't enough foil Russian relentless rats in the world to, to build the deck with those. Yeah, which is funny. That's kind of wild. Oh. Okay. Uh, my next card here, also on the is it commander plan. Uh, in terms of kind of looking at what cards those decks might want to build, add in is Finale of Revelation. We've talked about Finale of Devastation a handful of times on the cast. We know that one. That's the green one. Finale of Revelation is the blue one. Uh, Nickel Bulls all over that card. It's mm. uh, Axe Ugin. Ugin, sorry. Yes, I apologize. Ugin. I got my dragons copied up. My dragon's mixed up. Uh, X blue blue, it's draw X cards. So just draw X cards. But if it's 10 or more, you shuffle your graveyard into your library, draw that many cards, untap five lands, and you get no maximum hand size for the rest of the game, which is a terrible effect, but people like it. Uh, Terrible as in really bad for the game. Uh, But people like it, so it's good. This card is actually, I was shocked, I was pretty surprised by this. It's in 10,000 EDH rec decks. Like, I did, wouldn't, I would have guessed two to 3,000 if you would asked me before I wrote this down. Yeah, pretty popular. Yeah, me too. I would have said the same um, thing. Yeah. It has very high overlap, and this is how I found the card, with Mizzix of the Ismagus, who is going to be the, it's, uh, I'm kind of uh, pulling back the curtain here, but. EDH rec doesn't really, I don't think has these commanders, the brand new commanders up yet. Um, so you can't just go to EDH rec and plug in the brand new Is It Commander that was spoiled six hours ago and see what cards people are going to play with it. Even if it, even if they do have them, like it's so new, there's not going to be any lists for them to pull. So what you do is you go find a card that's really similar and you see what's popular in that deck. Mizics of the Ismagus is going to do a lot of the similar things that this whole new Magecraft's uh, commander deck is. So you look at what's good there, and that gives you a real good jumping off point to find cards that will synergize here. Um, and that's why I found Finale of Revelation. So given that it's very popular in those decks, 
and those are it's exactly the type of deck that would want this card. Like the new decks will want this card just as, just in the same way that Mizzix did. I know that those these new decks will want Finale Revelation. So you've got a shortish supply, way more demand than either of us expected. Um, you're getting the foils at about ten bucks right now. Uh, I don't think there's more than like twenty foil copies out there between like the pack foil and the uh, what call it pre-release and I think this had like the promo pack or something too but supply is real short on these across the board uh, I would gonna take a guess blind that the prices are, are pretty good in Europe and elsewhere overseas as well so uh, that's that's my second pick for the week and again you know two ploy sets maybe not 30. yeah the 12 results on TCG War, war is the gift that keeps on giving, and those those war Japanese boxes are going to be five hundred dollars a couple of years down the road. Mark my words. Could Between be. having well, they were the ones that had a mono, didn't they? Yeah, the yeah, which is the pre-release version of which is somewhere between six and nine thousand dollars, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. So be cheaper to just be cheaper to buy a plane ticket and visit a mono. Well. He just did a, a really hot cover for Harley Quinn's new uh, series for DC. So there's Amano Madness anew. Mm. Yeah, so I like this pick. Uh, this was completely not on my radar. I definitely have a bunch of these sitting around from cracking Japanese war boxes. Be curious to see whether I can move them in Japanese. Uh, it's always harder to do that with foreign cards if people don't have the cards memorized. Uh, yeah. But I have sold some Japanese foil of, uh, Finale of Devastation. Uh, the finales are annoying because all the the finale of third word in the sentence or in the phrase all sound vaguely similar. Like you have revelation, devastation, and, and it's it's not immediately obvious which ones go with which colors because it's eternity, promise, devastation, revelation, and glory. Glory sounds like white. Yeah. The rest of them, toss coin. Yeah, because de- devastation. You would think was it's, red, yeah, uh, yeah, or black. or black, but it's green. Yeah, kind of throws you for a loop there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a good one. A nice, nice little under the radar selection. Uh, my next choice is Damnation Secret Layer Seb McKinnon Edition. This card is not in short supply at present. In fact, it is. Let's see. Currently rolling with. 18 listings on TCG player, which doesn't sound like a lot, but there are very deep inventories. So various bricks of 30 copies here, 30 copies there. These are just people that were like, yeah, this looks like a good secret layer. I'm going to buy the max. Um, The art on the Damnation looks like a a, a Bosch painting uh, vis-a-vis Seb McKinnon, who multi-talented super threat, uh, music creator apparently involved in some film project now visual artist etc 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 one of the greatest magic artists of all time damnation is a constant super staple used both in uh modern decks and constantly in commander and this is probably the best art it's ever had so will it take some time for these to drain out yep totally but should you buy them at 30 to 35 dollars on tcg while you can yes definitely because this will end up being an $80 version of this card. Easy, easy breezy. And I'm talking about the non-foil version, but the non-foils and foils go for about the same price, so take your pick. 
I'm going with non-foil just because it's more likely to catch modern demand if it's not a clamshell foil secret layer card. Yeah, these are um, these are pretty cool. Uh, I like that art. I mean, the artwork is very powerful. Um, it's not quite the same staggering appearance that you get sometimes with like the full the full artscape you know like the borderless and the showcase versions and stuff like that but it's such a cool piece of art and just to clarify you're looking at the non-foil copies at 35 yes yep yeah okay um well you can get one at 28 on tcg player right now um like two copies below 35 and then the rest jump up uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very cool artwork and, you know, as we talked about with the secret layers, these things do grow over time for sure. Um, it would seem so to be the case so far. So even if the supply looks deep right now, check back in a year or so, it might be considerably lower and the prices start to tick up. You're certainly not going to see this again. This will be the one and only printing of this damnation. And I think once you dig through these cell walls, you're probably in good shape to move up the chain. And then, you know, in a couple of years, it'll be, oh, yeah, that's that. That really cool damnation that was only for sale for a day that looks like a Bosch painting. And, you know, it's quietly cropped up from 35 to, you know, 60 70 $80. So I, I think your your time on the roller coaster here is a little longer than not. But, uh, you know, s simple numbers tell us that you should be getting there eventually all right what is your final selection of the week uh this is i felt bad after the mirror wing supply got picked over so badly before i was able to actually tell you guys to buy it so i'm looking to see what else was out there and another card for the what this is this is is it week for me it would seem is uh melek is it paragon um, specifically the buy a box promo Malik is, uh, is it, it's a game day and game store day. championship promo sorry so, i meant to say game so the, day the week after box. the pre-release or two weeks after the pre-release back when we had lgs's and people could play in person uh you could go into your lgs and register for a tournament and you i think you, they probably did some random handouts and then the winner got a copy of this or something like that yeah, there were always two game day promos. There was an uncommon one that I think everyone who entered got. And then there was like four of the rares that you played for. Sure. And your your store made a, might have uh, monkeyed with the numbers a little bit and like technically claimed they ran three of these events and only ran one and increased prize support. But yeah, that's how you got these. And these were full arts back when this was the only way to get full arts, basically was these game day promos um so it is a pretty cool looking card uh, i actually have one of these in my stash my edh binder and it does look nifty i've always wanted a reason to play it um but he's a he's a, he's a six mana creature you play with the top card of your library revealed if it's an instant or sorcery you can play it and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery from your library copy it so lets you play as many instants or sorceries in a turn as you want, as long as they're on top of your library and copies them too. Like, uh, yeah, well, that's obviously something that, you know, these is it builds are going to be looking for. Uh, so there's a lot of work for you in that regard. The game day promo. Um, oh, shoot. I lost my tab. Uh, was It's very low supply right now. Um, I think it's like 10 copies maybe. Uh, 
Yeah, if you're looking at English copies, it's like 10 or 11. Uh, because it, And they only come in foil. If you add in other languages, there's a couple more, but not many. But there's only 12 total vendors, and that includes all languages. Um, so you'll get these about 6 or $7 right now. Uh, but I think these will should hit 15. I mean, like if six people buy this card for their deck, six people, the English supply is basically gone on TCG player. So I don't think it's hard to imagine this, uh, jumping in price pretty good based on these, the EDH decks we're getting. And this looks like the kind of card that there are a bunch of copies sitting around in Europe. Game day, Melix, Europe, and I bet they're dirt cheap. Yeah. There's like copies sitting around for like one Euro. Yeah, he was never terribly popular, so I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised well, that there's decent supply. Zero constructed play is the thing for Europe. That's yes. So, yeah, like four thousand decks on EDA track. It, so like, honestly, know, even what, even what they aren't super means. deep though. The I mean, there are twenty, thirty copies, and then it's going to be over twenty euros. Mm. So yeah, this just barely exists, and and, and this full art foil borderless version of the of the character is much cooler than than the regular version which has seen reprints a couple of times in commander decks as a non-foil oh yeah yeah he has been around the block at this point um so yeah that was my last pick for the week i think you will be happy picking up some game day melics seems solid uh, are back to having a Pro Trader selection of the week. Jay Tempkin, out of our Pro Trader Discord, selected the World Tree Extended Art, not foil, non-foil, to go $8 to $20 within a year. It's a five-color super staple in EDH. 38% of five-color decks are running this card since it was printed in Keldheim. And it's worth flagging that five-color decks are a minority of the decks in EDH. But... That probably probably doesn't matter given enough time because the World Tree is a, a very attractive card that has good shelf appeal. The non-foil extended arts are not in tremendous supply, even you know as is three three months out from release, and they're not going to get any more populous given any you know any more time. I'm pretty sure I've already called the foil extended art version of this card, and I think the extended art is just as likely. The foil extended arts are already up, are sitting at, wow, you can get copies at as low as $17 right now on TCG for the foils. So worth flagging those alongside the non-foils, either or whichever way you go. I, I think you give that 12 to 16 months, and these will drain out steadily. Yeah, this is pretty solid. Uh, I mean, you know, the it's in 40% of five-color decks right now on EDA track. Frankly, that's probably too low. Like, I think it should probably just be like, all of them. Like, why are you playing a five-color deck and not wanting this land? Even if you don't play gods, the effect is still very useful. And if you have one god, you know, it's just a freebie. So, uh, sure, I can get on board. Eight bucks for these. I think you'll probably uh, get paid before too long. Yeah, I mean, it's a chromatic lantern on a land. Mm-hmm. And when you're playing five color, often green is your base because that's the color that lets you fix. So having the the land that comes into play tapped be a green land until you get to six lands, at which point all your lands make whatever are not painless city of brasses uh, seems pretty solid. 
Yep, I think uh, I think you'll be pretty reason reasonably pleased with these. Alrighty, so we will transition over here to segment four. They have done the full reveal for the Strixhaven main set, and we're about halfway through as of recording the reveals for the Strixhaven commander decks. So I guess we can probably focus on the cards that they've uh, announced for Commander 2021. Uh, so far we have seen the cards for Lorehold, the red-white deck, and for uh, Prismari, the blue-red deck, in terms of the new cards that are being released just for these decks. I'm going to be honest, people are going to say the word Prismari to me in six months, and I'm going to draw a blank. And then I'm gonna to have to realize they met. Is it? So here's here here's how I, here's how I view it is that in the case of Lorehold, as opposed to Boros, Boros is when you're red white aggro. Uh, Lorehold is when you are red white graveyard girdle with artifacts and yeah. enchantments. So that's how I expect it to be used. Now for is it in Prismari, <laughs> the yeah. the line blurs considerably. They did a really good job of giving Lorehold its own identity separate from Boros. Yeah. But that was probably more on the side of, like, the reason for that being that Boros was just so one note. Whereas, is it in the past has been a lot more broad. Like, Boros was like, oh, these are, like, a very aggressive, all low casting cost aggressive stuff, which leaves all of the other functions open. Whereas, is it in the past has been cast lots of spells which is like just the whole gimmick of blue and red, right? Um, in any case, uh, so let me ask you what jumps out at you out of all the stuff that we've gotten recently. So I don't see a new Fierce Guardianship or Smothering Tithe so far. I suspect there, well, I suspect there will be one or two of those as we see the rest of the decks. Um, but I see a lot of cards that are going to get real cheap when these decks get mass opened. And we're going to do a singles buy on them for the Pro Traders. And 12 months later, they're all going to be reporting that they buy listed them for 40 to 60% gains. It, it is funny you say we don't have another smothering ties because there's monologue tax. Yeah, which I think is which, which, is. which I think is going to be in that group of cards that ends up buy listing well. But it's not going to take off like smothering ties. This No, and... The, the key for, the key thing for people to remember here if they're looking at this card is Smothering Tax is four. Smothering Tithe is four, yeah. Smothering Tithe, yeah. And you basically get to draw... You get to draw... You get a treasure token basically every time an opponent draws a card. Yep. They can pay the tax, but like on one table rotation, you are probably getting at least one treasure token, possibly three to six. I uh, and Monologue Tax is one mana cheaper, but you can only get one treasure token per turn. opponent's turn essentially and they, so like it will probably trigger most turns on most each of your opponent's turns but it can only trigger one so i think your average return is a lot lower the thing is that smothering tithe is going no one ever pays the tax because all you're yeah. getting is a treasure token it's not like Ristic study where you drawing cards could in fact be a direct threat to the table Giving you mana is not the same as giving you cards. So people are very unlikely to play the Smothering Tithe tax. When it was on the table this week in the games I was playing, I never saw anybody pay it. Um, monologue tax is slightly worse, still good. We'll see plenty of play. 
especially if smothering uh, tithe stays expensive, people may just run this because they bought this deck and it's in the deck. And as they they might slide a smothering tithe in if they have one, if they don't, they'll run this and it will end up doing a similar thing. It's cool that you have two white enchantments that are going to generate the treasure tokens because if your whole game plan is to work within work with those treasure tokens, then you're getting. Uh, you're getting duplication of effect, which makes your deck more reliably able to, for instance, leverage something like anointed processions or sacrificing tokens to get cards back in the graveyard using things like Goblin Engineer or uh, Goblin Welder. And one of the commanders here like uh, dumps stuff into the yard and then brings it back. So uh, giving you the multiple copies that we talked about last week. So yeah, it's it's great that there's a cheaper version of Smothering Tithe so that you can put both of them in your yeah. deck and draw them at the same time on turns 11 and 12 instead of having <laughs> them spread out through your deck like you want them. Well, so hopefully you're playing red in that deck and you're discarding them if you don't need them anymore. Um, monologue Tax is two and a white enchantment. Whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn, you create a treasure token. So against some tables, it's it might actually end up uh, being as good or better than Smothering Tithe if you're playing against against a bunch of decks that tend to flurry their spells. If you're playing against decks that tend to cast one heavy hitter per turn, this thing may not generate much in the way of treasure tokens. So it's good, not amazing. Move right along. Battle Mage is Bracers. Seems like it's going to be in the buy listable category of cards. Two in a red Equipped creature has haste. Whenever an ability of equipped creature is activated, if it isn't a mana ability, you can pay one. If you do copy that ability, you may choose new targets for the copy. This is an illusionist bracers kind of thing, and that's been popular in the past. This uh, is six mana to get going the first time, but then only one mana if you're using it on the same creature over and over again. And if you've got to switch creatures because they killed that creature, then it's three to get it rolling and then one after that. It's like a solid mid-tier card that will sell, you know, at a steady clip for years. And if they don't reprint it for, say, three to five years, then these will end up being, I don't know, somewhere between 6 and $12. And we'll probably get them in a group buy under three. Yeah, these are definitely... Uh, the Battle Mages Bracers are solid, and they caught my eye attention as well. It's not quite as efficient as some of the other effects we've seen, but it definitely builds up in its efficiency because it, it, it is so cheap once you get going. Um, and if you have any sort of equipment, monk, you know, monkey around with equipment at all, you know, free to play, free to equip, what have you, um, it makes it even better. And giving the creature haste is not insignificant too. That could have some real edges. So I definitely like Battle Mage's Bracers um, as being something that's going to see a fair bit of play over time. There's also Archaeomancer's Map, two and a white, Artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for up to two basic planes cards, reveal them, put them in your hand, then shuffle. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, if that player controls more lands than you, you can put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. So this is actually better if you're running white and green in a deck because you can the green cards that let you put lands in hand this lets you play them if you're behind i'm I, i'm i'm gonna disagree here because white has a lot of effects that let you find lands but it rarely puts them in the play and green dumps a lot of lands in the play like if you're in green you're not playing any of this crap 
right? You're just sticking with the green. Probably stuff. true. Yeah, but if right. you're if you're if you're not in green, like there's a lot of blue effects that put will search for lands, but it doesn't put them in the play. And Archaeomancer's map lets you keep up, so that is very effective. I am undecided on how good I think this is, but that effect is potent. Yeah, that comment was loose. The, it, it, it occurs to me that land tax interacts very nicely with this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So this is another example of, like, this is a mid-tier card. It's not going to blow any minds, but it's unique enough in what it does. Smothering Tithe, Monologue Tax, Archaeomancer's Map are all a direct, specific effort by Wizards to increase the ramp potential in white, and as a result, those cards are going to get played. Um, yes, because yeah. there's a reason they're printing them because the color needs the help. Um, and, and you're absolutely right to point out that if green is in your deck alongside white, you probably don't need the help because you have green available too. Um, excavation technique jumps out at me is probably the white card here, uh, alongside monologue tax that is most likely to see the broadest play pattern because it destroys target non-line permanent for four mana, not a fantastic rate in a format where you can run the best white kill spells of all time, path, swords, etc. Especially given that its controller creates two treasure tokens. But when you cast the spell, you can copy it. If you do, choose an opponent to also copy it, and players may choose new targets for their copies. That's the demonstrate keyword. This is a really good political uh, play pattern because you're going to kill... You're going to negotiate what three things at the table you're going to kill. And based on those negotiations, you're going to pick the person at the table that's willing to give you the best bargain. And then for four mana, you're going to kill three things. Right, right. That's how these always work is one guy is kind of out in the lead. So you turn to the other guy and be like, look, if I cast, you know, if I cast this, do you want to hit? What, what three things should we hit? And the two of you kind of work it out as to what things you should go after. And the other guys just sit at the table getting grumpy and trying to pretend like they're not the threat. Um, and, you know, I'm going to take a moment here because I rag on wizards for a lot. Uh, no one would say otherwise. But I will give them credit that the demonstrate keyword is very flavorful. Like that you are demonstrating to somebody else how to cast this spell. And that's what it does. I think they did a good job with that. So I will give them that. Well, not only is it flavorful, but it's it's an excellent uh, keyword for the way for encouraging the play patterns that make commander interesting. Ne- yes. ne- negotiating with the table is to me the the most fun part of commander. So it, it, it's a good it's a good mechanic. I mean, you look at Magecraft and like Magecraft is kind of is is cool, but on a much more spiky axis. Yes, definitely. Whereas demonstrate is very cool from a, appreciating how you can take more esoteric or intangible concepts and put them into magic rules. There's also Cursed Mirror in this lore hold deck, which uh, is two and a red for another artifact. Uh, this one taps for red, so you get some red ramp. And as Cursed Mirror enters the battlefield, you may have it become a copy of any creature on the battlefield. Any creature. Not just your creatures, any creature. Until end of turn, except it has haste. There's a lot of cute stuff you can do with that. And if you're in a Lorehold-style deck where you're cycling artifacts into play for benefit, then sacking them so that you can swap back something else from your graveyard back into play, this gets 
pretty interesting because you can you're gonna have find all sorts of weird scenarios where you can glean utility out of this thing entering play multiple times. Uh, you know, I'll admit that I'm kind of lukewarm on it. I don't think it's that impressive. Uh, like you know, you it it's a three mana rock that taps for one every turn other than the first turn. So the creature that you copy, like it's probably not a creature that's really aggressive because if you attack and it dies, you lose your curse mirror. Uh, so it's more just like an enter the battlefield value creature of which it doesn't seem like there's too much of a shortage you don't you can get cute with it and recur it but again we're starting to get into the realm of like okay well if you're doing that with all this crap like you could be doing that with plenty of other cards so you know just on the surface i i i i I don't love it we'll see what jason has to say i don't love it i think it's a fine card i think it because it it is best in the recursive decks there's a limited number of those total now the new there is a new red white commander that is that people are probably going to be building around, and if that ends up being one of the top three most popular, then this card is going to see plenty of play over the next six months. Um, but all all of that being said, the the two that I am most likely to get bricks, a uh, you know a hundred or two hundred copies deep would be so far excavation technique and monologue tax. I think. Um. Yeah, monologue text for sure. It, I if I if I'm picking two, I'm probably taking Archaeo Mainster's map over excavation technique, but I reserve the right to change that based on what other more EDH players say. Uh, can I tell you the color pairing that I think is getting the most traction for me is um, I, I honestly don't remember what it's called, uh, Golgari. They have a couple interesting cards that seem very competitively priced. The The first one is Rushed Rebirth, which is a two mana instant. And choose a creature when it dies. You search, your, not your creature, just choose any creature. And when it dies this turn, search your library for a creature with less mana value and put it in the play. Like, okay, it, so it, you, you cast Wrath of God, so I just res- respond by targeting the highest mana cost creature on the battlefield and getting it after the dust clears. Well, it's just so sneaky good because it's instant speed, right? Yeah. So it's like, if it was sorcery and it said the next time a creature dies this turn, then people could play around it so easily. But this is just going to catch people way off guard and and lead to instant combo kills where you had half the combo on the table. They're expecting worst case scenario, you're going to demonic tutor and announce that your combo is coming. And instead you're going to like, in the middle of a combat just before your turn, you're going to instant speed play rushed rebirth, go get your combo piece and either finish the table on the spot at instant speed or be ready, ready to do it when your turn starts. Yeah. There's, there's some fun stuff with this deck uh, or with this card and that it seems just really well costed. I mean, that's a, to me, that's an aggressive casting cost. If this had cost four, I would not have batted an eye. Now, worth noting, that's from Strixhaven, Strixhaven proper. That's not from the commander decks. Correct. Yeah. Oh, did you say we weren't supposed to talk about no, no, it? No, I just want to make it clear where people are going to find it, since we were talking about the commander cards earlier. Okay. Um, there was that one, and I guess since we're here, the other one that caught my attention was, and this is also Strixhaven proper, is Culling Ritual. 
which is the four mana, destroy all non-land permanents with mana value two or less and add a black or green for each permanent. So that means it wipes every creature token. It wipes all of your cheap, all the cheap mana rocks uh, and, you know, whatever else is floating around. And you get a mana for every one and it costs four. So if you destroy four permanents, this spell was free. And above that, you get paid. And there are a lot of decks playing a lot of creatures, uh, a lot of tokens that can generate, put a lot of tokens in play. And this just decimates their board. You make, it becomes a ritual at that point. Uh, th this stood out to me. Yep. I, I can see that seeing solid play. It, again, it, any card that depends on who you're playing against is going to be a lot less interesting for Brick Pursuit versus something like a Smothering Tithe, where as soon as it was printed, within a month, everybody was like, oh, this just goes in every single white deck. This, like, It doesn't matter what white commander I'm playing, I'm still playing this. They, because yeah. I, I'm just going to, I want free treasure tokens. I mean, that's fair that, like, not only is this card two colors compared to the one, um, it is of questionable utility. I would say, you know, I would be surprised if you sit down to many games where this doesn't do anything against anyone at the table, but it is a little less useful than Smothering Tithe. Uh, a little less universally useful, so I will give you In that. In Prismari, Octavia Living Thesis jumps out at me as being pretty pushed. Eight double blue for an 8-8 eight, eight, legendary creature elemental octopus. This has already got meme value. This spell costs eight less to cast if you have eight or more instant or sorcery cards in your graveyard. So if you're playing that kind of deck, that's probably when you've got about 20 cards in the yard. Uh, maybe less, maybe more like 12 to 15. And then it's going to cast two blue. It's got ward eight, which means they have to pay eight to target it, which is more or less giving it hexproof. And whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, target creature has, has base power and toughness eight, eight until end of turn. So that's a that's yeah. a wild assortment of text text box selections. It is. I will admit to being pretty underwhelmed by this. Um, I don't actually think it's. I think it's an amusing card, but not a great card. Uh, the reason for that being that I don't. I just don't think that the the Magecraft trigger, which is the the meat of the card, which should be the meat of the card and needs to be the meat of the card, is all that hot. Like, you can make something an 8-8. Uh, okay. Okay. I don't know. That doesn't blow me away. Like, so you could pay, it. best case scenario, you paid blue-blue for an hexproof 8-8 with that trigger. Now, you're not upset about that by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I guess it's just, it just doesn't hit. Like, I mean, like, Lorthos was, for my money, I think Lorthos is just better. I've got a question, though. Like, this is giving me off some Hogak vibes. Like, can Legacy run this thing? Get eight, get eight instants and sorceries in the yard, and have an eighty-eight the nobody eighty-eight hexproof. Eight instants and sorceries is a lot. That is a lot because you know they rely. If you're talking about like Legacy, they rely on fetch lands a lot. And modern, let me go look up Hogak really quick. Make sure I haven't had to read the rules text on that card in a while. Yeah, they had both Convoke and Delve. Like, he didn't care what cards he was eating, and your creatures could help cast him. Now, I didn't really I, like I didn't really play with Hogak a lot, so I'm not terribly familiar with the specific play pattern, like how often were people convoking versus delving, but I bet they were kind of doing my guess would be a little bit of both. So, I mean, this isn't gonna be like a turn three play. 
Um, and it's not modern. And it's but, not modern legal either. The uh, oh yeah, this is the commander deck, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So I don't know. The, it, this just kind of sets off a little a minor alarm bell. Like I, I will not be surprised if someone figures out how to break this. Um, definitely doesn't give me the like commander staple vibe though. The no no, no the no. Um, fiery encore on the other hand uh, is a pretty significant new storm card. Four and a red for a sorcery. Discard a card, then draw a card. When you discard a non-land card this way, Fiery Encore deals damage equal to that card's mana value to target creature or planeswalker. So if you storm off at four or five, you are going to draw cards, discard cards, draw cards, discard cards, and anything that's not a land is doing damage. And if you've got a bunch of big casting cost stuff in your deck, you could do uh, a pretty decent amount of work with fiery encore mm-hmm. i uh yeah this card is is potent um not a lot of storm in edh i guess the card question is like how many what does your storm count have to be out to cast this for it to be good like pr- probably bare minimum three uh i mean it's like it's only you really only get a good trigger if you discard a non-land card. So, like you have to be getting, and it's based on the mana value, which means you know if you're doing a lot of damage, you're discarding high higher mana value cards. But like you want those in your hand to cast, especially if you're in a position to have gotten like three storm and then cast fiery encore, so you have a good chunk of mana as it is. I I think the card's kind of amusing, and if if we're talking about legacy, like it seems like it might be able to get there, but I don't know if I like this for EDH. It just seems like the the mana cost is too prohibitive. The tricky thing in in Legacy, of course, is that those cards you're drawing and discarding to deal damage could all be one casting cost. Yeah. Or two casting costs. So yeah. It, I'm not sure it gets there. And again, when we're looking for these staples we want bricks of, we're looking for stuff that doesn't require you to build a very specific, narrow, focused kind of deck to make use of it. And that seems very much like that what this would re- require. I think if I look at something like Radiant Performer, you have more open-ended synergy. Radiant Performer is three double red, human wizard, two, two, flash. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it from your hand, choose target spell or ability that targets only a single permanent or player. Copy that spell or ability for each other permanent or player the spell or ability could target. Each copy targets a different one of those permanents and players. So you realize that anything that destroys a land, you flash this in uh, with a strip mine on the table and you Armageddon the table? Yep, that is how that works. <laughs> That's ugly. And because there are so many different triggers that you could do nasty things, not quite at that level, but destroy all the creatures at the table, uh, tap all the creatures down, um, you know, tap them and they don't untap, uh, exile them, whatever. Like, name the thing you're trying to accomplish. Destroy target artifact. Destroy all the artifacts at the table. Um, Radiant Performer is probably something I want to brick of. Yeah, this is very potent, and I would agree with you that it's definitely one of the better red cards to seemingly have come out of this just because of... Yeah, that's pretty silly. I, I like, you know, the strip mine is, is nasty, but for just something funny, you chaos warp them. Sure. 
because and chaos warp is uh just permanent not non-land it's just permanent so that means you cast warp <laughs> one of the cards and flash the city and just like okay you have like you have 17 permanents in play including your lands you're gonna get 17 different, cards you're, out of your you're gonna get 17 different cards <laughs> yeah who knows what you're getting uh what's br- really brutal this is each other permanent too so it chaos warps the whole table yeah, yeah. which is which is a lot funnier than strip mining yeah and, and the thing is that this is just such so open-ended because as you get funny interactions over time, this just gets better and better. And it doesn't look like the kind of card because it, it's looking for such a specific set of interactions to make it good because otherwise you just have a five mana two-two. Um, and it doesn't have any other abilities. No haste, no first strike, no nothing that justifies its pre- presence in a random commander deck. But... The, so it's very unlikely to show up in future commander deck iterations. Like, I don't think if they have commander decks, you know, a mono-red commander deck next year for Kamigawa or whatever, that you're going to see Radiant Performer reprinted because it's just, it's got that smothering tithe level appeal. You've got to build, you got to have things in your deck that want this, but there's so many different scenarios in which you might want this that lots of people will choose to run it just for the lulls, right? It's it's got mm-hmm. meme value written all over it, and it's a very broad pattern of play where it can be fun. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if I think this would be heavily played or not because it is a pretty potent effect, but it's not like smothering tithe where you just slam it down on turn four and you're happy. Like you probably have to have it in purpose for it, but it does. It, I mean, it targets abilities too. I think this is probably going to be do, do pretty well, but it, maybe not as well as people want it to. Maybe not as well as I want it to. So they ran Voice of Duality is one of the commanders in the Prismari deck. Uh, one blue-red, 2-2 two, two legendary creature, a Freet Wizard, being a wizard is, is useful for the long term. Magecraft, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell... They ran gets plus one plus one till end of turn. Okay, fine, whatever. If you cat if you casting or copying an instant or sorcery spell causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So you've got a thing where it's like if you cast a instant or sorcery, you draw a card. You draw two cards. It says if you uh, cast an instant or sorcery, something takes two damage. It takes four damage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This this strikes me as one of the kind the commanders that can be in other is it Dax, Prismari Dax, down the road? doesn't have to be your commander. It can be in the 99. And therefore, you know, maybe the kind of thing where you want a brick for, say, two years from now. Yeah, I definitely don't think this is a commander people tend to play main deck. I think it's a include in the 99 type card. Um but it will probably do pretty well. And though, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it, that's definitely where it's supposed to be. Um, yeah, this card is cool, but it seems hard. I, I'm having trouble imagining it in a lot of decks. Like, it'll be very cool in the decks where you want it, but it's not very broad appeal. If if I had to pick a card from this deck that seems like it had broad appeal, it might be dazzling. Sphinx is pretty solid. Um, you still with me? 
Yep. You've been very quiet. <laughs> Dazzling Sphinx, the five mana, four, five flyer. Uh, when it deals damage to a player, they exile until they hit an instant or sorcery, and then you cast that for free. So, I mean, the stats on the creature are, like, fine. Four mana, four, five flyer for five, like, whatever. But when you hit them, you just get to cast the next instant or sorcery in their deck for free. I mean, that's basically buying you probably three to six mana every time it connects. I just can't... There's so many of these, like, three, like, four, five, six, seven mana value creatures. And other than something like Consecrated Sphinx, I can't think of anything that's been, like, a rock-solid spec on that basis. Because they, they all just kind of end up blending in together. Oh. And they, you know, people run some or not others, but they don't, like... Commander Super Staples have not tended to be creatures in the higher casting cost ranges. No, well, five is sort of that hybrid cost, right? Or the not, not necessarily hybrid, but transitional cost. Like you wouldn't think of a four mana creature as expensive, but you would probably think of six and seven as expensive. Five sits like, eh. Uh, I mean, what was that one dragon that was really good? That was in uh, oh. <laughs> The Ixalan sat. It was a legendary dragon. Was it a dragon or a dinosaur? Maybe it was a dinosaur. And it did something when you attacked. Uh, but it had a bunch of, like, there was like a Walmart promo or something like that. I get, you got to get Are you ta- you're talking about Galta? No. No, I'm not. Let me, let me look. Let me look. All right, while you're, while you're doing that, I'll flag a, another card that struck me as having fairly broad appeal. Tempted by the Auric. One triple blue sorcery. For each opponent, gain control of up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls with mana value three or less. So I'll take your commander and your commander, and I'll take your Teferi. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm sorry, which card was that? Tempted by the Auric. One triple blue sorcery. For each opponent, gain control of up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls with mana value three or less. This has high strategic value and broad appeal because it's going to be very rare that you don't hit a target on, that you don't get three targets stolen for four mana. And people need to remember that control magic effects are not plus one card. They're plus two because your opponent lost something and you gained something. So your opponents lose three total permanents and you gain three total permanents. You're up six. Uh, yeah. The and, um... and you get to choose stuff that messes with their game plan. If their commander costs three or less, you <laughs> they have to kill it or figure out some other so that they can get it back in the command zone. Yeah, this is anyone who's ever cast a blatant thievery can appreciate that. Uh this is this is definitely solid. I mean, it it doesn't hit artifacts or enchantments, which means you can't just steal everyone's soul rings. Um, yeah, because that would that would just be so gross. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'll pay four mana. To, Man, to, I'll take your soul ring, your mana crypt, and your chromatic lantern yeah. on turn turn three. Yeah, it would be pretty <laughs> gross. Uh, yeah, like here's here's my only problem with this is a lot of creatures that you're gonna steal with this. At three mana or less, we're probably under the battlefield triggers. I'm thinking like Eternal Witness. I'm thinking things like um, Sakura Tribalder, which is obviously like kind of the opposite of that, but 
Well, it's not coming into play, so anything with com- ETB triggers isn't going to work here. But that's my point. I think a lot of the creatures people play... Oh, in that casting cost range. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the top top creatures of the past week. Eternal Witness is number one. You have Birds and Llanowar Elves and Elvish Mystic, Elves of Deep Shadow. What the hell? Like, so those are all fine. You have Sakura Tribe Elders up there, Reclamation Sage, um, Dockside Extortionist. All of those, you just are total whiffs. Findorn Elves is in the top 10 creatures this week, too. What the hell? Deathrite Shaman, who's all, who's fine to steal. Um, Hall Breacher, you'd want Noble Hierarch. I was oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Hall, stealing Hall Breachers is epic. Yeah, that's brutal. And, and opposition agents, obviously. So this is, I mean, a lot of the creatures here that I've seen are just monodorks. So, like, that's fine. Would I pay four mana to steal a monodork from each player? Eh, no, to be honest. Like, you're probably going to, you are, the annoyance you're causing to other people probably outweighs the value you've gained from casting that card. Like, it costs you a lot of political capital to cast that, and you didn't get that much out of it. You can definitely craft scenarios where this is a total blowout, but I do wonder how often you'll be a little short on uh, on total value. There's also, there's not that many top commanders that would hit either. Uh, at present, like you would, you could grab a Yuriko, you could grab an Essica, you could grab Najila, Magda, Th- uh, Thrasios is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's plenty of commanders that you that you can't get. Um, but even still, like even if you only grab two things for four mana, you're doing just fine. And it's more about like you can be in blue and just be tempted to run this card for the funsies. It's not like there's plenty of decks where you could you could easily argue ah, I don't have a slot for this or this isn't the this doesn't work with my theme, but I I can easily see this ending up being a brick card just because it does a specific thing that there aren't that many cards do that thing, and it's just a good value card that that has political aspects because you can talk about what you're going to target and make bargains around it. Yeah, I mean it's not terrible. It's not terrible. I'm just trying to decide how I feel about it. I think it's probably plays a little bit worse than it looks, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. Here's the best, some of the best flavor text wait, in the set. Wait, can I, sorry, I'm just going to stop you for just a moment. Just to rewind, the card that I was looking for, by the way, was Atali Primal Storm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, who was a six mana f- dinosaur. And, yeah, not a dragon. Yeah, not a dragon. When he attacks... Atali is a victim of the art looks like it has flying and it doesn't. He's another Thief of Hope, um, which is why I was thinking Dragon. When he attacks, you exile the top card of each player's library and you cast any number of those spells for free. So he's got a sort of a similar effect. He's a six mana creature. The the Sphinx I was talking about was five. When When he attacks, you might get to cast a spell. When the Sphinx deals damage to a player, you're guaranteed a spell. Um... So they're roughly the same ballpark, sort of the same ballpark. But Atali's in 18,000 decks. So definitely some traction on that card. Uh, Now, do I think Dazzling Sphinx is that card? No. But I just wanted to draw the comparison that I don't think they're too dissimilar. Uh, Yeah, I demonstrated how busted Oka was against Atali earlier this week because Atali was the player's commander. I just elked him and then elked the Ashai on the other side of the table on the following turn. (laughs) <laughs> they weren't pleased oh goes a fun card okay what is the best uh flavor text spined karak two four 
creature crocodile for three mana. It's clearly a limited card for Strixhaven that probably not going to get played much. The bogs are deeper than you realize. Most of the space between the surface is taken up by these enormous Karoks. You might think your feet are touching the bottom. They're probably not. Hmm. It's amusing. Most of the space beneath the surface is taken up by crocodile. That's, uh, that's a lot of crocodile. Sorry, that's a lot of Karoks. Oh, wait, no, it is a crocodile. <laughs> by, by the way... Uh, uh, to move one card over on the spoiler here, the Tempted by Auric, and I notice in the flavor text, uh, to exact his vengeance, Exodus needed followers, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, Exodus is that black and white guy you were talking about last week that you really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't catch this. I saw that in the one card, he summons that, like, blood demon or something. Yeah. And the Rowan twins defeat that. Like, I noticed that was a story yeah. beat. But what I didn't realize is that Extus is Voldemort. He is a ex-student who yeah. got angry at it and comes back to attack it. And I'm like, my yeah. jaw dropped. I'm like, are you kidding me? You can't even come up with a novel villain. You have to rehash the same bad guy. <sighs> Just the, sh- the shame of it. Just unbelievable. And then if you've been, I don't know if you've been, how much you've been paying attention on Twitter, but the writing for the Strixhaven guild. Yeah, I haven't read the the narratives. Is, is, uh, well, the, it's, it's not that it's, it's bad writing that it's clunky. I mean, it's bad writing. Like it has like a bunch of really upsetting uh, Asian cultural tropes that are just handled in the most yeah 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 or and it's just like oh my god Car- the like the the pressure of the parents and so forth yeah and just the, the, yeah. yeah carrie posted a really good image about you know the writing of strixhaven is one of the lowest points on the planet and getting deeper every day it's just so bad <laughs> uh so I, I i thought it was amusing because it's like okay well they really had to rehash harry potter because they had to make sure they included a bunch of problematic elements and sort of the the meta context of the set so early early contender for foil extended art mythic to be picking up bricks of harness infinity one triple black triple green instant not sorcery exchange your exchange your hand and graveyard then exile harness infinity with Seb McKinnon art. <laughs> Very cool. Are, are, are you art. kidding me? Perfect storm. Vi- Perfect storm. Foil extended art mythic. Thank you very much. Very cool art. Uh, pretty bad card. But very cool art. I mean, I don't think you're playing this in standard. Quite. No, no I'm, talking about, I'm talking about EDH. You're just going to dump a whole bunch of shit in your graveyard then put it back in your hand. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time you played a black-green deck and you just didn't have a bunch of stuff in your hand? And, I mean, black-green is all about getting stuff out of your graveyard anyways. Like, if you're in that color combo, you're probably dredging, getting all the good stuff out anyways. It. Oh, this, this card is bustable. Like, people are going to figure out the right combination of things to run around this. Maybe, but then that's a CEDH card. And back to the problem of not being high enough demand. What what do you put the price tag on this out a year from release? Foil extended art. Oh well, what is the baseline for foil extended art mythics? It's like what six bucks maybe. That would be real low. I'm no, but I'm asking like what is the sort of like floor for that? 
I don't have them all. Well, for for a bad mythic, it could be trash. It could be three, four dollars. Okay. Are are you saying you think that this is bulk? I hold on. I just I need to establish a baseline. So I'm gonna have to trim some of this because I'm gonna be searching here. But mythic cards from Kaldheim. Let's take a look. Let's put it this way: the the pre-order on this is currently a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. the, the the non the non-foil lowest posted pre-order price is thirty-five. Burning Rune Demon extended art foils seem to be about ten bucks. Uh, I have to read that card again. Is that good? Is that playable on EDH or is that one of the ones that's not playable? Burning Rune Demon. Yeah, yeah playable. Sure. Like, does it? It's, I saw, I'm not reading the card because I'm trying to open up a couple tabs here. Was that the one that was? Uh... So yeah, Burning Rune Demon is from Kaldheim. That's the six mana six six. It enters the battlefield. You search your library for exactly two cards that are not it. So two cards with different names that are not another demon. If you do reveal those cards, an opponent chooses one of them. You put the chosen card in your hand. So you take two cards. Your opponent chooses which one you get to keep. Okay. Yeah. So that card at ten dollars for Center of Foil is probably underpriced. Okay, so, I mean, there are extended art foils in Kaldheim. Like, Resplendent Martial extended art foils, like, three fifty four bucks. Sure. Goldspan Dragons, 35 Eradicator Valkyrie is about 11 Burning Room Demons, about $10. Uh, so, the floor is probably in the four-ish dollar range. You said, what, what, did you say a year out? Yeah. Well, I don't think Resplendent Martial is going to get that much better better in a year I, I i i am i am like 85 percent. this is under ten dollars all right so let me take a look at emergent ultimatum extended art from ikoria the whole ultimatum series we talked about when ikoria came out and we said blah 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 big clunky not that big a deal whatever whatever they saw some play in standard along the way multiples of them i think emergent Salt has been a big part of the standard decks recently. But there, whether or not you believe people are buying standard card, foil extended art standard cards, there's seven listings left of this. They start at $9, finish at $14, and then they are just gone forever. And an emergent ultimatum is a, all the ultimatums are rares, not mythics. Yeah, but this is playable and standard. Like, now... Yeah, but no one's who's buying foil extended arts for standard in 2021. Well, who's buying play sets of uh, hex drinkers at $35 for modern? Okay. People that a speculators like a big a big part of that action is speculators get trying to get out ahead of the trend, and also people misassigning that the progress on vaccinations is going to lead to imminent play which i don't believe in the slightest i mean either i'm just pointing out that if people are out there buying play sets of hex drinker at 20 and 30 dollars like that is that is just flat out like people are definitely buying that card at 20 right like if but that's a terrible idea so So i'm just establishing a baseline that people are going to buy cards in paper for like formats that are a bad idea so that's how Merchant Ultimatum gets bought. There are it's the forty fifth highest played card in standard. It's in sixteen percent of decks as a playset. Yeah, the sulfide decks were a big deal. So and, and it's in and it's in two thousand EDH decks, which is five percent of the sulfide decks since it was printed. Which I, I is also the number. 
I also think this card is way, way better than Harness Infinity. Emergent Ultimatum is I spend seven mana, I immediately get the second and third best cards in my library in play. Whereas yeah. Harness Infinity is seven mana, and I now have a lot of cards in my hand, which I probably could have done for cheaper than seven mana. Presumably you have a reason to be doing that. But you're getting pretty narrow depending on what that reason is. Now, there is other factors in play here. The Strixhaven CBs have both the Mystical Archive Global Art Cards, Etched Foil Global Art Cards, Japanese Cards, and Etched Foil Japanese Cards. So EV is going to get chewed up a lot by Mystical Archive Cards. It's entirely possible Harness Infinity Foil Extend Arts get down to somewhere between... 8 and 14 dollars and it could go even lower if nobody finds it nobody finds a use for it if it isn't pinging on edh rec and nobody should finds a way to play make use of it and say modern or something then yeah they could end up bulk but i would <laughs> certainly have my ear to the ground because foil extended art mythic with seb mckinnon art is exactly where you want to be if it ends up having a strong use case i mean if that's the case then so be it I, I am just highly dubious that this will have a strong use case in any format. I think in EDH, it's not really any better than a lot of other things you could be doing, especially at that amount of cost. And I think in competitive formats, unless it does something busted, then it's going to be, you know, basically useless there. So whatever the floor is, whatever, whatever the cheapest extended art mythic foil is a year out in Strixhaven, I don't think Harness Infinity is more than twice that. Okay. Uh, one more card to talk about tonight, and then we'll knock it off. The Biblioplex. The Library of Alexandria. Fixed Library of Alexandria. Land, tap for colorless. Or, two, tap, look at the top card of your library. If it's an instant or sorcery card, you can reveal it and put it in your hand. If you don't, put the card into your hand, you put it in your graveyard. Activate only if you have exactly zero or exactly seven cards in hand. Uh, yeah, this is pretty solid. I think it's it's worse than Library of Alexandria, but it's better play pattern because you don't have to sit on seven cards. You can go down to zero, although you don't usually want to be at zero. You can probably make a pretty decent argument in a red Bernie kind of deck or an Izzeti deck. If the rest of your mana is real solid, this can be one of your utility lands. And it's basically like, did you burn out? <laughs> yeah like did you run out of cards now this gets real good yeah i think that i'm inter I, I think it's kind of a nifty card i don't know if i'm eager to buy a playset. like how many people are i don't think this is a good enough utility land to take spaces away from the other really good utility lands so i would probably rather you know, this is this is going to have limited homes, like, in decks that can afford it, basically. Like, they're not doing anything else, so why not? But there's probably not a lot of those. Just by the token of saying instant and sorcery specific on it, it really narrows the usefulness. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's easy to forget how rare that can be in some builds. Like, oh, I actually have very few instant and sorceries in this deck. Like, maybe I have, like, 11... You know, which is not that much, all things considered. Yep, yep, yep. Do you, do you like it more than that? Mm, no, no. 
I think I think we've nailed it on the head. Like it's a it's a very specific tool in a specific toolbox. Yeah. So it's not something I think I'll be chasing a brick of. I think it could it could probably show gains over time. Uh, would you could this be running modern burn? Uh, yeah. I mean, you could see that as like a one or two of there as a perhaps. one of or something. I don't think that's beyond beyond possible. Hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't say that it's impossible. Still, still wouldn't make me excited enough. I don't think. Yeah, and I mean, then like you're buying a land that's a one or two of in modern burn. What's your what's your play here, buddy? What are you trying to do? Dead selfless glyph weaver, deadly vanity probably has a, a pretty a reasonably broad home in white and black EDH decks. One side of it is two and a white for a two three human cleric exile selfless glyph weaver creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn early to mid game kind of thing if you're trying to protect yourself against the first sweeper that hits the board and then deadly vanity five and three black choose a creature planeswalker destroy all other creatures and planeswalkers so I'll keep my Atraxa and kill everything else selfless glyph weaver might get there just on the front side. Uh, does humans have an effect like that? Because spirits do, right? Spirits have selfless spirit, which yeah. is creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn when you sack it. And selfless glyph weaver is basically the same idea. You have to exile it instead of sack it. And it's a three mana two three versus a two mana two one flyer. Uh, I mean, selfless glyph weaver is definitely in the same ballpark. And selfless spirit's very good. And then you just get the other side. The thing is, the other side in competitive formats is basically unplayable. Um, yeah. Like, if you're playing Selfless Glyph Weaver, you are not also playing Deadly Vanity. In EDH, it's possible. Like, you're not going to cast it very often, but when you do, it'll be real good. Yeah. And I, I just think that it's got, like, if one side or the other appeals to your particular commander build... You, and you're in both colors, you can probably find reason to appreciate the second side as just for the added utility. Yeah, I, I would be inclined to say that if I was going to go after Selfless Cliff Weaver, I'm approaching it from the perspective of, uh, you know, if I, someone's playing this in competitive magic, which version do they want? Um, and that's that would be my angle, I think. We've also got Vanishing Verse at Rare. White, black, exile target, monocolored permanent. Yeah. Uh, is that the one? Was there an additional cost to that? Nope. Vanishing, what is it? Vanishing verse. Vanishing verse. Oh, Not right, this one. I was thinking of the green, black one that has like a additional thing on it. Uh, yeah, that card's definitely solid. I mean, what is... Um, I mean, any any multicolored commander you can't deal with with this, but so what? The it, it's almost always going to have a solid target at two mana, what and is, it, it being exile instead of destroy is is pretty big game. What is that black white that's three mana that's so popular? Uh, Anguish on making. Anguish yeah. on making is in fact the most popular actual gold card in EDH. Right. Uh, that's three mana, exile any non-land permanent, and you lose three life. This is two mana, exile... Monocolored. Monocolored permanent with no life loss. So mana cheaper, no life loss, but you're stuck on monocolored permanents. That's probably still going to be very, very popular. Like... Foil Extended Arts, whatever low they get down to, probably good on a two to three year horizon, I'd guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm inclined to say this is... 
very good, like very, very good, because Anguish on Making is the most popular gold card in EDH right now, according to EDH Rec. Like there are a couple artifacts that count ahead of it, but and it, and it's worth pointing out that you, you you it's both artifacts and colorless and multicolor that you can't hit with this. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That is fair that it has several restrictions um, that might not be immediately apparent. But this will never be stuck in your hand. Right, right. Like, and, you know, it it is slightly more restrictive than some of the other options are, but, like, it's real cheap, and that's okay. Like, you have other cards that can deal with other permanents. This is still a hyper-efficient way to deal with a whole lot of cards. Like, I don't know, a smothering tithe. True. And the and the biggest the biggest downside for point removal is just that as time goes on, there's more and more and more of it. Like six, seven years ago, there wasn't that much point removal at two mana or less for commander. Now there are probably five times more options. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I agree with that sentiment in, you know, that that idea in general. Uh, but, you know. Uh, Anguish on Making is still very, very popular. All right, so we can call call that uh, a night of it. Uh, seems like a pretty reasonable place to stop for now. We'll pr- probably dig in a little deeper on some of this when we have Jason on to do our official set review. I, I will Saban. be more curious this time than I have been in plenty of episodes past on his opinion on some of these. All righty. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, and how about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at mdgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mdgprice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $99.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. I think the latest group buy we launched today was Russian Time Spiral Boxes. Having trouble getting our hands on large quantity, but we still did manage to get some at a pretty reasonable price, so... uh... The sexiness on the group by front continues. The temptation to crack those, I'm sure, is astounding. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to crack at least one box of Russian just for the meme value if I could pull a Thoughtseize. I would say, if you get the foil Thoughtseize, I mean, that card's going to be like a car. Like that will be, you will be able to buy a, a the, the cost of a Russian foil Thoughtseize old border will be above the average new cost cost of a new car in america like for instance i've been watching russian time spiral remastered old border foils picking some off here and there and currently you've got a russian foil ponder at 994 dollars with 14 bids russian oh with 14 bids i would say that sounds like a buy because is the english one like 700 uh, I don't know how high English is today, but it it's was certainly mid hundreds. Yeah. Uh, buy it now side of things. You've got newly listed. I know there was a like they've got a lingering fo- souls up here. Russian foil time shifted one fifty. Primeval Titan seven hundred and fifty. These are these are active auctions though. No, these are bins. Hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, so <laughs> even stuff like Russian foil exquisite firecraft, they want eighty dollars. I mean, the primal flame for seven fifty doesn't sound terrible. And keep in mind, like you could hit other stuff that's not time shift. You could hit a foil Russian tarmogoy for something in your time sparrow box. That's not going to be as exciting as it once was, but it still wouldn't be nothing. Right. Uh, isn't the English foil primal titan like two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars right now? The original printing? No, the Time Spire English foil Old Water Primeval Titan. Uh, let me just check. I thought was, was Old Border Old Border foils. Non foils are at ten, and foils are at about one twenty with thirty results. Did you say? I'm sorry. Did you say one twenty? Yeah. Okay, and they want seven fifty. Mm. I could I could see that sliding down to the English copy sliding down. As the hype cycle proceeds with Strixhaven and then Modern Horizons 2, could get down under 100. But if I if I see Primeval Titan, place out of Primeval Titans around 350 or something, I'm probably going to be tempted to bite it off. Yeah, yeah, because there just aren't there aren't that many. Uh, I should tell you that once again, our podcast is sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering sealed. Single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code Finance5, that's the number five, uh, at coolstuffinc.com. Set 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 266. I uh, had fun chatting about Strixhaven. I uh, did you all a favor and didn't complain about it endlessly. So I expect uh, applause and commendations for that on social media. Uh, and I'm uh, looking forward to discussing the whole set next week. Huge shout outs to Cool Stuff Inc., to Lesser Evil, premium quality, minimally processed popcorn, lemonade flavor with organic coconut oil, as well as Ferrari, our latest sponsor. Yeah, yeah, those guys are great, uh, I think. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you next week on another episode of MGG Fast Finance. <laughs>